Welcome back to episode 81 of Warrior's Den Podcast. In this episode, we have, or I have, Sebastian Louvois, who is a 20-year RCMP veteran, where he finished his career as the team leader for the local ERT, a.k.a. SWAT. That's the BC division. I guess their E division. And he also had military experience, and his story is very interesting, coming from a troubled youth to military to being a team leader in our ERT. Uh, Sebastian also uh, does martial arts and has been doing so since the age of three and is now a co-owner uh, at Ascension Martial Arts in uh, Port Coquitlam, British Columbia. He, I believe he's a brown belt from the pictures I've seen. Uh, yes, I think so. Um, I'd mentioned him at the end. You can check him out now if you want to. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention, he also launched a new company for consulting, etc., Raven Strategic. So if you want to check him out online, you can check him out on Instagram at uh, Slav Commander, S-A-L-A-V-C-C-M-D-R, and or Raven Strategic are both on Instagram. And then you can check him out on Facebook via Ascension. And because uh, he was saying uh, Slav Commander is just his initials as in Sebastian Louvois and Commander. Uh, nothing else. That's all. But first, this podcast is brought to you by Urban's Tactics, Krav Maga, turning lambs into lions since 2013. Now, good news is it looks like our government here in British Columbia is done being silly. I think enough people yelled at them, not to mention the overwhelming scientific data against lockdowns and silly shenanigans classes should be back up for us and for ascension uh as of june 15th this month so i'm recording this on june may 5th no may 31st is the current date so in two weeks classes are back up for martial arts though the details of that we don't know yet but you know contact everyone so anyways urban tactics krav maga providing the top krav maga self-defense curriculum and program in metro vancouver so you can check us out at urbantacticskm.com and that's where you can sign up for the classes etc uh you won't be able to sign up if you're listening to this in the next week or so for new classes via the website yet so just email me info at urbantacticscanada.com and i can sort you out for a date to get you started course i do private lessons though krav maga is really best done in the classroom environment so but you can do that you can also check out urban tactics krav maga on instagram urban tactics krav maga and facebook urban tactics krav maga and i believe twitter urban tactics km which just rehashes stuff you can also support us by going to the support us page on utcamblog.com utcamblog.com is where I do most of my ranting and actually post this uh, podcast so you can check that out so you know right now an example of what I put up there I am doing a series a five or six part series on the awareness color code and nervous system and mental health I actually talk a little bit about it in the podcast I like how um, Sebastian or Seb as they call him said it's a uh, operationalizing mindfulness for the practical because the way they go about it i think is absurd so i'm writing a series for example on awareness color code from white yellow orange red uh black from the perspective of both mental health and practical self-defense so that's what you can find on the blog you can also find our curriculum 
uh, at least that's what I'm going to teach this week. So if you're a student of mine, don't ask me. Check the blog every Mondays. And what else is on there, right? On that series someone wrote, one of my instructors, Petra, wrote was uh, her experience growing up in Eastern Germany, doomed to repeat growing up in East Germany. It was a five or six part series uh, where she discussed how a lot of what we're seeing in pop culture and ideological stances from the left, let's just say, is starting to make her nervous, reminding her of what it was like to grow up under uh, the Eastern Bloc rule before the fall of the Soviet Union. So that's the kind of stuff we put up there. Sometimes it's self-defense related. Sometimes it's ideological or conceptual. It really depends on what I feel like writing or what contributors feel like writing. Uh, it's all related to self-defense, in my opinion, though, because an educated individual is better capable of defending themselves mentally, physically, intellectually, emotionally. The more you know, the better you are to defend. So don't just think self-defense is just physical it's so much more so on utcamblog.com you can actually hit the support us link and you can donate if you like to whatever you want to do it's much appreciated uh obviously i would love to pump out content like crazy but i'm always running around doing all sorts of stuff so the more support uh, for this podcast we have the more content i can do and eventually i'll be able to hire someone as an assistant to help me out that would be wonderful you can also go to utkmu.com. That is where I have put up in video format uh, our curriculum. Now, I did put it up in quite a rush during COVID, so it does need a bit of work. But if you want to see what our content is, as far as what I'm teaching Krav Maga self-defense uh, curriculum-wise, uh, you can get a paid access, either the no uh, beginner or novice curriculum. There will be more down the road. The more support I have from you, the more time I can dedicate to pushing out more online content. And that is UTKMU. I'm going to do a shameless plug here where if you want to, uh, actually two shameless plugs, uh, I do teach the Canadian Firearm Safety Course. So if you want to, we do have limited spots. The next available date is July 24th and 25th in Burnaby and then September 25th and 26th in also Burnaby. So if you want to sign up for the PAL courses, spots fill up really fast, closer to the time, urbantacticskm.com forward slash Canadian Firearm Safety Course. Actually, that URL is way too much. Just go to urbantacticskm.com and click on the CFSC slash CRFCSC to sign up for that course. So there's one shameless plug. The other shameless plug, if you care about stuff other than self-defense and martial arts, I started a YouTube channel with my significant other. So we would very much like you to uh, subscribe and like that if you would like. It is called Joe and John Do Stuff. A very good name, right? Uh, I can, you can guess who the John is in that situation. Again, I did say it is a shameless plug. We don't have that many videos quite yet. But if you want to subscribe, it would be much appreciated. Because, uh, again, I said it clearly, I want to pump out content of all sorts of things. Right now, uh, that will channel will have cooking and renovation stuff. I don't just do self-defense. Uh, and eventually, we'll add on all sorts of stuff, lifestyle, beyond uh, just you know that. And again, I, my perspective is increasingly becoming, the more I know, that self-defense is so much more than just physical. So learning how to live your life happily and healthily includes includes in that so that's what that channel is probably going to be an entertainment lifestyle channel we will see but please 
Shameless plug again, I know. Uh, Joe and John do stuff on um, YouTube. So if you want to check that out, that's another way that you support us. Because if we hit a thousand subscribers, I can monetize it. So then I can do some awesome stuff. The more I don't have to work for other people, the more content I can inundate your mind with. So that's it for the plugs, I think. Uh, again, Sebastian was with, uh, we sat down for three hours. And by the way, if you have want, no one has complained about the audio quality from the previous ones. That's what happens when people are using Zoom and they still don't have a professional microphone yet. Um, this audio is great because my uh, my audio recording equipment prefers in person. So because we're finally, I have someone I could meet in person. The audio is great. So, anyways, I had uh, Seb for three hours, and I'm just saying we went all over the place, right? So we talked my standard. Um, bio intro introducing who he is a little bit about him and then we just kind of go from there and we talk about everything from police use of force training mindset you know what he's doing in life uh, the difficulties of being a police officer as well as the public perception issues and uh, sort of a general theme was that uh, you should be more informed the governments need to inform you better about what they're doing and what that way the public isn't making crazy demands that are unrealistic and devoid of uh, logic um, but we talk about philosophical stuff we talk about uh, policing jiu-jitsu martial arts in general um, it's not as long as my last one on ego this one's only a little under three hours so here you have retired sergeant major uh, Sebastian Louvois on episode 81 enjoy Krav Maga is not just a self-defense system it is a way of life Warriors Den is a podcast for Kravists, fighters, martial artists, warriors, politicians, and general citizens. Consider this. The society that separates scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. Lucididi, your host, Jonathan Fader, talks to guests in an open and uncensored format about their fights, their philosophies, and their lives. No topic is taboo, and the conversation may start in one place and end in another. As the quote suggests, you cannot separate the warrior from the politics and the world around them, as a true warrior must be a student in all forms of art and science. You're listening to The Warrior's Day. Warrior's Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga, turning lambs into lions. Welcome back. I'm here with uh, retired Sergeant Major Seb Lavoie of the RCMP and now uh, co-owner of Ascension and uh, owner of uh, Raven Strategic. How are you today? I'm great, man. How are you? Thanks no. for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You're like starting to become a local legend so i had to have you on um so i always uh start with the origin story um so chicken or egg question what came first policing or martial arts and then start with whichever came first roger that yeah martial arts by a long shot yeah. um i was three years old when i started in traditional martial arts and um that would have been a little bit too young for the old uh, policing uh, yeah. <laughs> endeavors yeah for sure what kind of martial arts did you do I started with Kung Fu, uh, and now is the time to make fun of me. I started with Wushu Chinese boxing, oh. and um, and I moved on into uh, eventually karate, and yeah. eventually Muay Thai, many, many years later. 
Was this like in the seventies where like the Bruce Lee movies were all popular and, and that's the way? You are absolutely <laughs> on, my friend. I think part of that was me me not having a dad. Oh and yeah. so mom was like, Look, if we don't get him sorted, um, somebody will. Classic so classic situation, right? Yeah, I think that's what I'm starting to realize. Children need mentorship. If it's not the parents, it needs to come from somewhere. So sometimes it's martial arts, depends depends on the gym. So you start with kung fu, karate. And then when did you start sort of gravitating towards more, like, say, practical martial arts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Muay Thai um, in my teens. And as soon as I started in the force, I started traveling over to Thailand yeah. and training more seriously um, every couple of years yeah. and uh, spending time in camps and whatnot. I meant to do that. COVID kind of hit it hard. I was going to do Thailand, Israel, and somewhere else I forgot and we just got killed by, by this year. Right. So how it's us three years old onwards. Uh, what was your at that time at least your favorite style? Um, you know, I suppose kung fu was yeah. at the time. I mean, we we uh, I'm from Quebec and yeah. we really didn't have much um, in in terms of uh, diversity. Uh, you know, wrestling wasn't a big thing. Uh, there was a no. There was hardly any grappling sports at all, yeah. and uh, and a traditional. The choice. W- the choices were sort of kind of between Taekwondo, Kung Fu, and Karate, right? So yeah. it was uh, was pretty slim pickings. Yeah, you take what you can get. Even when I was coming up, like I remember asking, like, "Hey, I want to do a martial arts, but I don't want to do katas." And the parents were like, uh, "We don't know if that exists." So it just kind of hang hung in the air until adulthood, and then jujitsu and all the other stuff showed up. So it's like sweet. Um, so you're from Montreal. And were you policing in Montreal primarily or elsewhere? No, I was in the military when I was uh, back in um, in okay. Quebec. Uh, said what, what was I, 18 to whatever it was, 20, um, three years, uh, right before I got hired by the RCMP. Okay. And I ended up heading over to training at um, 20 and graduating at 21. Yeah. Oh, nice. Did you uh, deploy anywhere in the military? I did not, unfortunately. Yeah. Timing? Was, yeah, yeah, it was just a dead... Yeah. Dead, dead space and dead air. There was absolutely nothing going on in the Canadian forces. Yeah. Peacetime army. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I can I can polish boots like nobody's business. Yeah. Well, how was that experience though? You know, you're saying your mother wanted you to have some guidance. Is that kind of the way you w- reason you went into the military in the first place? No. Um, the reason why I went in the military was as a stepping stone for policing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I think what surprised me is how very effective it was in actually squaring me away yeah. for what was coming for me later and um just not everybody's made for it yeah. but i was i found something that actually for the first time in my life i wasn't going to quit at yeah i wasn't going to leave and i wasn't going to so i really really i would say um i credit the military with um i haven't found myself yeah you know and and, and what i'm really passionate about this is, this is where we can have an interesting conversation because I was in the IDF and it's mm-hmm. a very different experience. But uh, uh, what uh, what about it? Was it just the discipline or the regimented, like the schedule or, or what made it that yeah, way? Yeah, I, I, I think that's part of it. So I yeah. think uh, structure was yeah. evidently a part of it. Um, but I do think that just the hard PT and getting out of my head, I was always on my head yeah. all the time and getting out of my head and get, and into my body and really learning to... Um, drive hard and 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 exceed the limits yeah. the self-imposed limits yeah, you know yeah. those types of things really start started understanding that really this is a mind game mm. this whole business we call life 
Yeah. It's all a mind game. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. That's what I learned too. Like I'm not a physically gifted person. I struggle with the mindset thing and I don't, I don't want to get into it yet, but Mm -hmm. it's more that like, I know I'm not physically gifted Mm -hmm. and a positive attitude will only get me so far with the physical because I know what my limits are. Like I learned that in the military. I pushed past them and then some, and, and then you, you learn uh, how far you can go that you didn't know because no one pushed you. I mean, I saw guys in the army pass out and then get up and keep going because mm-hmm. their body was at its limit. They just needed a five-minute rest and then get up and, and then go or have some sugar, and it's, it's crazy what you can watch people do. And then, you know, like, I noticed um, the guys who did the best – you know, with the, we call them spitzim, like they get the best scores, physically gifted, never challenged. You get that one exercise where they're actually hit the mental limit and they fall apart versus guys like me that are just like, this sucked the whole time. <laughs> just keep going, right? Yeah, this is no news to you. Yeah. And then I just, uh, for me, like I was in the infantry, mm-hmm. not disciplined. So it's a shock as a Westerner going there and seeing the complete lack of discipline. They think it is, but it's not. And then contrast that to the traditional western ideology of discipline makes an army and it's like it's an interesting is it really i'm not sure anymore is discipline as what it's cracked up to be because for some people it works wonders mm-hmm. and then for other people it's kind of up in the air yeah there's a there's a saying in quebec that says um the army either makes a man out of a bum yeah. or a bum out of a man yeah. <laughs> right so it all depends i think um you know, we'd be remiss to not speak about the fact that it's conscripted too, yeah, right? Yeah. So that's a little bit different yeah, as yeah. well. It changes things a little bit. Yeah, that's why they yeah. tend, they, 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 they have, I was told that, like, we don't want to be as harsh because a lot of you don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. So if we do that, we don't have anyone. Uh, the special, special forces, though, were, like, up every morning, running, doing this, the discipline. And if you weren't, they'd kick you out. Sure. And a funny thing there is you can lie. You just can't get caught. Of course. <laughs> I think that's, that's across <laughs> the world, man. In the military, yeah, and that's like the <laughs> the ethos. They wanna they wanna see that you can fake it if you get caught, but they don't want you to get caught. Uh, like in like a real combat situation, right? Mm-hmm. It's the thing that like the Hollywood Hollywood movies in the military. It's like always something. It's not. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Um. So, what was your favorite experience in in the military, other than getting squared away? Yeah, I mean PT and all these associated endeavors like shooting and moving and communicating and doing all the stuff that you know I knew at, at some point so I should have I should have said that but um when I was wanting to join uh, the RCMP my goal was to go to the emergency response team oh so yeah. that was my sole purpose in life I yeah. didn't want to I didn't want to do anything else so for me all those uh, those skills were were going to be very relevant at yeah. some point in in the future and I really really enjoyed that yeah, that's um, so you basically knew you were always going to go in mm-hmm. ERT and you just like laser, f- like textbook, get a set a goal, achieve it, do mm-hmm. the work. But I wasn't always like that, you yeah. know, like it's it, it, it happened quite late. I was uh, I was about 18 or 19. But yeah. before that, I was all over the place, man. And I couldn't keep a job to save yeah. my life. And I couldn't. So, you know, it wasn't always uh, that simple. I wouldn't say that's late. That sounds like it's right on time. Re- yeah. <laughs> realistically, <laughs> right. You're probably right. Um so you go from the military to the RCMP. How how is that transition for you? Um, you know, one of the things I hadn't expect uh, expected from the uh, from the military is to like it and enjoy it as much as yeah. I did. And um, y- there were opportunities that were presented to me before I left for the RCMP that, I looking back, I probably should have taken, yeah. but I didn't. And yeah. so we're obviously not living with regrets. Yeah. But um, 
I think I was very surprised at how much I en ended up enjoying it. So when I transitioned over, um, especially through uh, training and everything, I realized that this wasn't the Army, and, 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 and I had to do a lot of uh, dial it down the intensity, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dialing down the intensity a bit. And, yeah. you know, for, for a lot of people, going through training, uh, RCMP training, is, is something that they consider very intense compared yeah in comparison to some of the experiences that they they had in their own lives but for me i was kind of yeah. looking around eyeballs going yeah when is yeah. this getting really hard you know yeah I, I remember i saw the video someone posted of the rcmp basic training and obviously doesn't show everything and i'm just like shaking my head i'm like that's not hard mm -hmm. <laughs> um coming from the idf where it's like just non-stop like just mm -hmm. like the, it's different kind of physical it's just the expectation like you don't rely on the machinery it's it's all on your back and you go and then you sure it, so. yeah it's more it's more your traditional sort of military yeah. you know hump the, the the thing is in what i would say to that just so that we don't um take it take it or people don't take it the wrong way is yeah. that um is that when it comes to benchmarks in terms of academics and those types of things then you have uh you know at the RCMP Academy, yeah. the challenges are way greater than yeah. they were in oh the military. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, you're, you're, you know, the beatings are not nearly as bad, but the law and yeah. and, and ethics and, yeah. Yeah, every, and and professionalism and police defensive tactics and driving and shooting and all these things are, are, are a different level, right? So, right. Different skills. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's for like sure. when I teach Krav, like the traditional ideology of Krav Maga is aggression, aggression, aggression. Well, that comes from all the guys teach in the military and then they find when they go teach civilians it doesn't doesn't translate like my motto is turning lambs into lions because i'm working with people with no experience don't know their limits don't know what they're and i gotta bring them up to be able to do the military stuff and like everyone thinks like that's what it crowd my guy is but it's it's part of it mm -hmm. right because i gotta teach you how to punch and kick before i can teach you how to tactically shoot but everyone everyone wants to learn the tactical shooting but it is like that Right, so I, I put it like civilian basic self-defense, then policing application, then military application because the skill sets stack on each other with the most extreme use of force at the top. Uh, it's, it's probably similar if you do, were to stack the RCMP with the Canadian military on, on the top, I guess. Sure, uh, yeah, different mandates, but you're absolutely correct in your approach to um, in your approach to uh, to your craft setup. I, I think that's bang on. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. That's, I was listening <laughs> to John Danner. You follow him at all? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I was like, course. oh, man, I'm so happy he's saying what he's saying. It's because that's how, how I did it. And it's like he's one of the best in the world. And uh, learning how to teach, right, uh, whether it be police, civilian, it's like it's a whole skill set on its own that I think a lot of people are lacking, unfortunately. Of course it right. is. And if uh, you haven't been in any of those two worlds, it's even harder. Yeah. 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 So you go to the RCMP. Mm -hmm what's the path from starting to ERT? Yeah, so I um, I graduated um, in March of 2001, I believe, and I uh, headed over to the island in Tofino. Oh, yeah. And I was asking for Surrey, of course, and they sent yeah. me to Tofino. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and complain about that posting specifically because evidently there was a lot of hard work there, but it was yeah. very, very... Um, it's a very nice place to be. Yeah. To be so if, if people don't know, Surrey is... I mean, compared to other places in the world, it's not that bad, but it's a rougher area in uh, in Metro Vancouver, and then Tofino is like surfer's paradise on the West Coast. <laughs> yes, they're they're at completely at odds. It's like heaven and hell type deal. Yeah, right. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I you know it allowed me time to train 
there's you know obviously the infrastructures in terms yeah. of having nature and the trails and the water and everything so i was able to train and my schedule was allowing me to train almost daily yeah. for some of the things that i knew eventually would i would have to tap into yeah. i also had access to a range i also had unlimited ammunition right so i really spent um i i, I took instructor courses in use of force and all types of courses that were um, right in line with my you know what would be needed from yeah. me as a as an ERT uh, person down yeah. the line and um yeah i you know it allowed me to work up a skill set a fitness and a mindset that was conducive to not only be successful on ERT but become potentially uncommon amongst the uncommon yeah, you yeah. know and that i think was the was the goal i didn't want to just be uh, you know a dude on the team yeah i should i should clarify for non canadians ERT is essentially swat yeah Right, they do all the real fun stuff, <laughs> kicking the doors and stuff. Um, what is sort of the requirements or expectations for someone to transition into ERT? Yeah, I mean, if things obviously are evolving quickly, yeah. and you know, I'm already, I've been retired now for <laughs> ten weeks, and I, it seem, it's seemingly I've forgotten my name. Even I, yeah. as things go out so quickly, but basically, um, generally around two or three years of service, yeah. you have to have. Uh, impeccable references to begin with and that includes your peers not just your supervisors yeah. that want to get rid of you yeah. um, and so once you are being supported to go to selection you go to a five-day selection camp at least that's the case here for the lower mainland emergency yeah. response team which is a team that I was on full-time team in the yeah. lower mainland one of the busiest in the country and um, and uh, and then once you're supported for selection you go to selection so you have your five-day selection camp which it has everything you might imagine like the physicals the cognitive behavioral teamwork and you know everything in between shooting moving communicating uh team evolutions whatever yeah. uh, name it it's in there for five days solid there's interviews as well and other things once you make uh, selection uh, you're successful on selection uh, then there is an additional i believe around 18 days of training which mm. is considered selection phase two mm. this is where you start acquiring some of the hands and feet skills uh, to do the job but not quite to the level where obviously you're going to be trained because eventually you have to go to training so yeah. it's, it's just making sure that the person is capable of uh, of of matching the steep learning curve on the emergency response team course yeah. in ottawa and uh and that they will be successful in that endeavor and come back to the team as trained uh, trained operators yeah so you go selection yeah uh, essentially 18 days of training mm -hmm. assessment and then there's further training that's right it's yeah. it's uh eight nine or or ten weeks now yeah. uh of training in ottawa where you get the full package so yeah. pistol package uh close protection i mean name it like air, tubular assault and yeah. and ambushes and rural tactics and Anyway, urban tactics and stocks and whatever, right? Yeah. Like just the fun stuff. Yeah, is. yeah. So if we, were, if we were to compare it to, I remember there was that movie SWAT. <laughs> is it anything remotely like that at all? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think so. That's a pet peeve, right, for people who've actually served. Like, can you stop talking about the movie, right? <laughs> I, uh, a, a guy I know, and he, he consistently brings back uh, the show SWAT. Oh, yeah. It's a bit, um, bit before my it time, is I think. Well, no, uh, the remake. Right? Oh, the so remake. Oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple yeah. years ago. On Netflix, yeah. And, uh, and, he, and he forces this stuff down my throat by yeah. sending me, you know, episodes <laughs> and I spent two and a half minutes, and I'm like, oh, my God, get yeah. me out of here. Yeah, my girlfriend doesn't like watching war movies with me because I'm like, nope, nope. <laughs> like, for the love of God, can you stop putting burst fire <laughs> on all the guns? Like, just stop. It's uh, mm -hmm. 
it's a movie. I had a student the other day saying stuff about it. I'm like, just anything you see in a movie, just stop talking. <laughs> you retrain it. Um, so you go, you go through all that process. Then how do you go to uh, your team leader, right? Mm-hmm. So how, do you, how does that, you make that jump obviously over a few years, right? Mm-hmm. So how is that transition? Yeah, I mean, the entire time for me, that was always the ultimate goal. The yeah. goal was not only to get on the team, but also to have a team, but not not just to have a team of guys that were assigned to me, but to have a team of guy that wanted the guys that yeah. wanted to be assigned to me, yeah. which is a very different, you know, Jocko style, y- right? Yeah, which is a very different, um, you know, um, prospect, right? Um, and yeah, so I, w- I believe I was I was on the team for five years. I was a breacher. I was a primary breacher for many years, which is the person that's responsible to get the team inside yeah. whatever stronghold we're going to. Um, and um, it's interesting because we have a really high ratio of uh, team leaders promoted from the breaching program, which is interesting. We like to say that we're smarter than everybody else, (laughs) but uh, I don't think that's the case. Um, And so, yeah, so I went from being a breacher to 2012, uh, being promoted as one of the corporal, which is essentially an element leads. But, I mean, along the way, over the course of those five years, I mean, you are consistently leading elements. So it's not like you you know you have no leadership experience and ev- and eventually you get a promotion it's yeah. it's more like you were given a small task you completed properly y- you were you were solid you were you were able to get the feedback you were able to get better to yeah. if there were mistakes made you were able to not repeat them and do yeah. all this stuff then you're moving on and then you have a bigger task yeah. and then a bigger task and another one and eventually you ha- you're controlling multi elements doing things and you've demonstrated that to the point where the team believes in you and management believes yeah. in you so yeah. you become the person that's essentially capable of being in the middle yeah and uh, i mean in vancouver like most people probably don't even know we have you guys mm-hmm. they so oh yeah please took down this thing and mm-hmm. they don't realize it's like a tactical team they think it's a ferry yeah it's a ferries flying in yeah it's like yeah. when i i tell people like hey you know we have our own spy agency in canada and people are like we do i'm like yeah that's why you don't know about them they're doing their job <laughs> but i think it's it's like canadian media has a very different approach to dealing with policing in canada they actually don't talk about stuff a lot unless things go horribly sideways and then you guys everyone hears about you guys what what like what was your relationship with the media uh in that position you know it's quite interesting i have um i have a a bit of a a different take than than some of my colleagues uh, on the whole media piece i think we need to be proactive with our communication and you know what a what a strange concept right And we've worked uh, very hard to achieve that when I was on the team. And some of the, um, I think of some of the best press that we've had over the years um, had to do with uh, a media person being on site yeah. and, and me being like, look, they're not interfering with anything. Stay there, shoot your footage. Yeah. This is kind of a, a, a gross outline of what happened, what could be disclosed that wasn't protected, that wasn't hold back, yeah. so to speak. And provide them with a safe area where they could do the shooting and all this stuff. And when you do that, instead of trying to prevent them from being there and you know be in their face and ask them to turn the cameras off yeah. uh, they tend to treat you very differently yeah. and 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 a lot of operations we were on as ERT were portrayed in the in the media very very positively yeah. and and I and I suspected that that had a lot to do with it yeah oh, that's good yeah i find the canadian media treats policing gener- generally a lot better than than what's going on in the states now so we sort of established your kind of expert use of force and 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 policing 
Uh, are you glad you got out now before all this craziness? Well, I uh, I actually you know was on the tail end of some of the stuff that yeah. was that went majorly pear shaped last week. Yeah. Um, you know, the answer is is yes and no. I mean, a lot of the current issues are historical in nature. A lot yeah. of those issues are essentially been um, trusted upon the rest of the membership by previous generation yeah. m- members, right? The old boys club sort of thing. Well, I mean, and there were tons of good members in in those in those times as well. But yeah. I, you know, if you look at some of the lawsuits and some of the yeah. hundred million dollar this, a hundred million dollar that, I mean, we, we are paying uh, those, most of those um, grievances were put in yeah. and, and occurred 20 to 30 years ago, uh, and 20 years ago. Yeah, so for non-Canadians, it's uh, just elaborate on that a little bit because they might not know. Yeah, I mean, anything, uh, we we had a, a, a few lawsuits, you know, harassment um, against women in the force and, and some other some other groups as well and and some in, some uh, you know issues historical issues with some of our obviously indigenous communities yeah. or some of our other communities so we um, you know it's 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 tough because yeah. because a lot of those w- w- we're not abdicating responsibility it's critical that we take responsibility for all those things yeah but at the same time it it kind of sucks for the current generation yeah. to really be um, sort of dragged everywhere on account of a lot of the stuff that was done prior. Yeah, know? yeah. Now, because uh, this is audio only, mm-hmm. uh, and we're, I want to get into the state stuff. What is your ethnic background? So mm-hmm. people s- don't jump down your throat too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so I am I got about 17 different regions in me, according to my yeah. DNA, <laughs> my ancestry.ca, but I'm uh, essentially uh, half African and, 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 and half uh, French European. Yeah. Uh, my mom was white. My dad, I, I don't know him, but w- we'll have to guess that he was black. Cause yeah. I mean <laughs> <laughs> Some kind of a darker-skinned <laughs> individual, yeah. Because I'm, uh, I'm dark, but, yeah. uh, but I have uh, several regions in me, which is quite interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, so that gives you a perspective that, you know, that's, you know I'm, I'm, I am a minority being Jewish, but the whole visible minority thing, people would be like, you're not a real minority. So that you're in a perspective where you can come from both sides a little bit, and you also have the use of force, like wealth of use of force experience from martial arts, policing, and military, uh, which is actually very rare for someone to have all three three components. So you're like the the gold star of. <laughs> um, what are you, your thoughts on on what's going on, particularly in America, which is spilling over globally, essentially from from a civilian perspective? Hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, um, I have a lot of friends that are that are uh, officers in, in in the states, but most of them were uh, met through SWAT yeah. uh, training or some joint exercises or whatever. So a lot of them were um, elite, so to speak. You know, because yeah. we're talking about professional team. I'm yeah. not talking about like I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't with you know training with Timbuktu SWAT, but yeah. we. Uh, we had some, you know, if we're training with, um, you know, LA or Miami Dade or wh- whoever, yeah. uh, professional teams, you find them to be extremely professional. The, there's obviously minorities in all those teams as 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 much as we have here, and 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 so it doesn't just seem to be, um, you know, um, the issues don't seem to be a bit muted, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but if you, I have never spent a day policing New York. Yeah. I've never spent a day on the beat policing LA. I have no idea. I know the social, social economics and social demographics, even in 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 the, in the United States, is is. I mean, this is problems compounding over problems, yeah. right? And then you have the propensity of using weapons. You have the stiffness of the sentencing, which a lot of people, 
you know here we're too soft over there they're too hard you know we should meet somewhere in the middle because yeah. if, if you're if you're committing a crime right now and um, you know that if you get caught yeah. even if it's a chocolate bar theft you get caught and you're going in because it's your third strike yeah. and you're going in for 140 years yeah. your the best option is to shoot your way out of that yeah you know like there's no question and I, I and I'm not pretending this to be sitting here and 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 and, and saying that I wouldn't do the same it's, it's just yeah. it's completely atrocious um, and so y- when you look at it objectively it's y- there's a lot to unpack there and to make matters worse everybody has guns like yeah. everybody and i'm not a you know take the guns away or whatever whatever yeah. like that's I, good to hear. Yeah, yeah no absolutely <laughs> not it's like let's let's regulate them and do yeah. what we do i think we do a great job here yeah. unlike what the pm is saying but uh, yeah. we can get into that i'll go on for hours um how much though the the issue with policing mm-hmm. is misunderstanding from the public of use of force well I wouldn't put that back on the public. Yeah. I would put that back on on police. It's th- the it's a deflection, yeah. uh, in my opinion, to say that if the public doesn't know what we do, is their fault. Yeah, it's not. If the public doesn't know what we do, it's our fault. Yeah, we we didn't communicate it properly. We didn't put the product out there uh, in terms of documentaries or series or or even um, open and bilateral communication in yeah. any format. Let it be social media or, or media itself or even uh, press conferences or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So for me, I know that police in general have done a piss poor job in in communicating yeah. with the public. Yeah. And so I don't expect the public to know the things that they should know so that they understand a little bit better. Yeah. What uh. No, no, it's, I'm totally with you. Like, I was trying to write... Uh, oh, I did write a blog article a while back looking at police training after after George Floyd, and it was very difficult to find, like, a comprehensive idea from a lot of forces what exactly their training mandates. Uh, and then I, w- I had some private messages saying, no, you got it wrong. I'm like, hey, this is what's on their website, or I can't find anything. And then some police force did what their training was i'm like that's not good enough and then other training it was like you know it's way too long but not efficiency and then i was looking into like german uh what it takes to become a german police officer and it's uh it's a full four-year degree uh with like apprenticeship process so uh even if you ask germans you're like yeah but it's still not good enough i'm like hey guys that's like they take it seriously over there and if you want to be a cop you can't just do some six-week course it's you already have to be educated then you have to do a specialty degree including training and then if they like you they'll take you right and then you start seeing all over the world like the different standards and expectations of uh, uh of policing and it's all over the place even though we have two arms two legs and the same brain why is it so different every what do you think is it just politics or is it yeah that's that's a that's a really good question i mean politics is is definitely involved in all of those things yeah. i would say that um fiscal concerns are yeah. also involved in money all, yeah <laughs> and it's always it's always a thing there's also w- where are you at and are appealing are you as a department and what can you actually afford yeah. to pay your people and then once that's established who is actually coming to you in light of what you're offering yeah uh, you have a lot of departments doing things the right way having uh, you know people with and i i you know 
I'm gonna I'm gonna stay away from saying that people with degrees are yeah. always the best to be hired. Well, I agree not. with you on both. Both yeah. arguments are fair. Yeah, of, of <laughs> course. Um, you know, I've seen uh, I've seen plenty of dummies with with degrees, yeah. and 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 plenty of people without degrees come in from the prairies yeah. somewhere and just be absolutely uh, stellar from an intellectual standpoint. So I think, um, but definitely some of the some of the things that we really really shouldn't um, be compromising on is selection yeah right and um, and that's a difficult part and that's a difficult it's it's much more difficult than it looks yeah because you're trying to get people to come in so that you can actually sustain the retirement rates and you can sustain the you know the task yeah. Um, and all these other things, but you're also not getting the numbers. So now you're getting the numbers. You're getting really, really picky. You're yeah. eliminating half the numbers. Yeah. Um, so it becomes difficult. So you really have to. But I think we we agree that standards are critically important. Yeah. So you have to establish a reasonable standard. Yeah. And and that standard should be very similar in all developed countries, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. I, I I don't know why there is such a discrepancy, but just to uh, go back on something you said, I I would tell you that. Um, we've had people from all over the world coming over to the RCMP Academy for training because yeah. it is an incredibly valuable and very, very good and well thought of training program. Yeah. So there's no question that the training program at Depot is a, is a solid training program. Could it be better? Yeah. Can always be better. Uh, but I think the problems might be a little bit before that. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the selection. So let's start with that. Then we can talk about training. Mm -hmm. Um obviously you're in a position to really understand so like what what what's the number one thing you want to look for in a candidate and then let's flesh it out to say top five because obviously one thing is kind of hard yeah i mean that this would be a, a you know a long and extended conversation i mean we, we have time yeah. <laughs> i mean it, I, from my own opinion from seblevo's opinion um i think that we're really failing on the on, we're really failing and putting too much emphasis on some of the perhaps academics yeah. um, versus um character trait based leadership yeah. um uh emotional intelligence you know those types of things things that are highly that that are un underrated in policing but that have been critically important in the, in the corporate world and you're seeing more and more of those companies testing their ceos for 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 things such as eq and yeah. and and having the ability to be self-aware uh, to, to self-regulate you know to to have people skills to 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 have care and wellness for the people to be driven to yeah. have a plan to communicate it to have all those things have so your shit together really. yeah, <laughs> essentially you know like if we're if we're, if we're gonna call a spade a spade yeah um, i think character-based selection is what needs to happen i think that there is enough smart people out there in terms of uh, psychologists and, and and professionals in that field that there could be extensive text testing uh, texting testing conducted sorry yeah. I'm, I'm being french and english here <laughs> but uh testing conducted and 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 that we could have an acceptable range like you don't have to be because too much of, a, of anything is no good yeah. like if you have too much emotional intelligence you spend your time talking doing things you, you may touchy feely, you, yeah. you may be lacking you may be lacking some of the uh the innovation and having a hard time t uh, thinking outside the box those types of things yeah. those are traits that are generally assigned to people that have too much of one thing yeah but you could definitely have a spectrum, like an acceptable spectrum from here to here where all in and anything in between is actually a valuable asset to your organization. Yeah. Sort of like if I'm picking instructors, I don't care if they're the best technically. I, w I want them to be able to show me they can adapt and learn and grow because I've had some people who are technically really good. But the moment I'm like, hey, I'm changing the curriculum, they're like, no, I just learned this stuff. I'm like, 
but that's how it works. Like we found something better. Let's change it. Um, and I think that that open mind and that sort of it is really I don't care how good you are now if you're mediocre technically, but you can adapt and learn. I think it's a very important skill set. Oh, yeah, that flexibility is uh, that flexibility is absolutely critical. And, you know, what a lot of the uh, organizational problems that we've had over the years had to do with the resistance to change. Yeah, it's a huge one. Like yeah. and, and, and it's interesting because even the people that s- are, are put in charge in, in positions of, say, leadership that are in charge of overseeing said change yeah. are themselves yeah. resistant to it. So you're fighting an uphill battle. It's like pushing a rope uphill, you know? Yeah. You're just fighting an uphill battle and trying to get things yeah, done. Yeah, like, you know, occasionally I'll get an officer who's like, I want you to come in and teach our unit. And then it never, ever, ever happens. <laughs> yeah, because as soon as soon as he goes and speaks to anybody else, that that somebody else is like, okay, well, we just called this unit and that yeah. unit, and they said, well, you we know, have a guy, or, is it <laughs> so, or or it's not in line with what we're teaching, yeah. or maybe that person doesn't know the job. So here's the way I circumvent these problems because I've encountered that myself. So yeah. it's essentially the person that's in charge of the unit that I link that I link up with to go do the customized training with. They are responsible for the maintenance of SOPs in terms of their, you know, the unit, the specific units, operational deployments, yeah. procedures, yeah. right? So I'm not coming in there saying, okay, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, and then you're going to move your body over there. Like, is this part of your SOPs yeah, yeah. in terms of deployment, yeah. especially if you're in a special tactical unit? Um, uh, anyways, but uh, but so then what happens is that person is responsible for the safeguard and the maintenance of the SOPs of the unit proper. If there is issues and they think that perhaps something is conflicting, we have that conversation and then we can push it up or we can change it and we can adapt it. So what you end up doing is what you're showing them to do is how to do certain things, not when. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so when you start shifting that mindset a bit, then it's easier to take a little piece of the pie and address it and then they can put it in the, in the overall context. You go to another piece of the pie and fix it. Yeah. You know? Well, no, that's totally, hey, I, I've asked that to people. It's like, okay, what am I working with? What are your operational procedures? What can you not do? What can I, like, obviously striking is out for a lot of officers in a lot of applications. Not every time, but, uh, and you know, the, well, Croft specifically, like, oh, you're going to kill each other. We can't have you do that. I was like, no, I'll show you arrest techniques or adapt or grappling, right? So if I have a student coming in, for example, and they're like green. I'm like, we're not starting with grappling because I don't want you to go to the ground on the street. They come in like, I'm a cop. I'm like, okay, I'm going to introduce grappling a lot earlier for you because you need that, right? So it kind of brings us to like that training aspect of, of, you know, of selection. You want kind of emotionally stable, adaptable people. Then like I read through what I could see publicly on the RCMP basic depot and the amount of hand-to-hand combat was, I'm like, nothing right in my opinion yeah you're, you're you're actually doing a fair bit if you take it in the context of how much stuff there is to go over yeah but i will say that depot isn't really the issue yeah is a year out after depot a year out of depot then you are you know completely left to, own, to your own demise yeah and uh, and and there will be very very slim to no training uh, maintenance training right yeah. and so it would be possible to potentially 
uh, change the program in a way that say you come out of there as a blue belt mm. uh, but more importantly in just yeah in jiu-jitsu and yeah. the blue belt in jiu-jitsu yeah. and 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 you have some striking you know some basic striking some takedowns uh, obviously that you're going to need and then when they come out what we what we've actually done is potentially influence them to want to carry over yeah and that is the piece where we fail yeah so we we it, it's decent and we put them through but we make it semi-miserable where they really um and and tons of good people teaching in those obviously mm. in at depot in those units but uh, uh i mean by way of process because there's so much you know to learn and so much yeah. to do and it's time compressed so it's difficult but when they come out of there they're left to their own device yeah. and that is an absolute fail yeah so that's i mean that's consistent from pretty much anyone <laughs> more training more consistent training sure. like i think jocko willink was saying what did he say you need a blue belt or purple belt if, they, if that's what they want to see uh for jujitsu as far as because you know grappling is such an important aspect of arresting someone right oh yeah and i mean i would go a step further and say do we need to impose belts i mean yeah. for me if i look at a purple belt um say in a tournament that will look like a like a early blue yeah um imagine when there's actually the the stakes are even higher because yeah, yeah. now you're fighting on the street that kind of thing yeah. so if you are operating at a brown belt level in a gym you're likely a blue belt yeah. in policing right so yeah. if you go too low you, you kind of yeah so you think maybe like a just as a comparative skill maybe a purple belt at least is probably a good mark jujitsu yeah i mean even if you said like look we're gonna do it over five years yeah. or six years or seven yeah. years even if we said 10 yeah imagine if every cop if every cop out there was yeah. it was a purple belt at 10 years of service yeah that um, would be a big difference oh a incredible yeah. difference yeah. and uh, and i can tell you that from my experience and having been and of course there were other experiences and i was a bouncer and all these yeah. other things so i had other experiences in stress inoculation that came from those experiences but i can tell you that um you know not once have i felt like oh i'm fighting for my life here and that's very different because yeah. there, there are people out there that every time somebody resists they yeah. the perception is that they're fighting for their life yeah so what do you think they're going to do panic yeah and and then what overreact yeah. right yeah. and so um, and sometimes justifiably so yeah but because based on the totality of their own circumstances yeah. they found themselves stuck in that you know now i wonder is the reason you were never or didn't feel because like, were you in like situations physically where your life could be in danger versus like you felt like your life was in when danger. i was on ERT, yeah yeah all the time yeah okay all I the just time yeah, yeah i was i was there there's many many times where i i stood there thinking i'd be I am shocked not if you were yeah. <laughs> the gangsters what are you guys doing i am not going um, home yeah no but just because like i'm wondering if it's like f someone of your caliber and people of your caliber right you guys are essentially the pinnacle of, of policing mentally and physically and you're a lot more comfortable and mentally willing to do that work um, so it's less likely you will be overwhelmed mentally versus, say, an average police officer who hasn't gone through all those hoops or hasn't done all that self-improvement, and they will get overwhelmed. Now, example, a very, like, this is a it's going to be spoken about for years, I think, in police training is uh, the Duante Wright one, mm -hmm. where she pulled out the taser. Mm -hmm. Now, this is my analysis of that. Mm -hmm. Is the training worked but not even remotely to where they need to be, like the four stages of learning theory? She's at, like, the second stage where she's not good enough with that taser uh, or and gun simultaneously to automatically in real time recognize this isn't the tool I thought it was. But obviously her training was enough that she's screaming taser, taser, taser. Mm -hmm. So she was in the uh, unconscious auto or uh, conscious, no, one of conscious automotive or unconscious, one of those mm -hmm. sort of second stage, right? So it's like the training is working, 
but she, wasn't she a failed. Incompetence yeah, 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 that's yeah. the one. Yeah, I can never remember the stages, yeah, but she. Um, but you're aware it's good. Um, but she wasn't at the point where she. Y- I mean, for me, I'm like, you can't tell the difference between a gun and a taser. It's a bright yellow thing, <laughs> right? So people will look at and say she doesn't have enough training. I'm like, well, hold on. The tr- the training is there. It's show. It's actually kicking in. But her level of training wasn't enough to handle that level of stress. Mm-hmm. Right? And I look at it, I'm like, man, you had three cops on the guy, so your your ability to mob- immobilize him without a tool is not there. Mm-hmm. Right? So what what do you think about that? Yeah, I haven't. Uh, you know, in all in all full disclosure, I haven't looked. I haven't watched the video because I, yeah. I I I just yeah I just sort of tried to stay away as much as I could although I d- when I was instructing full time I yeah. did it just by way by virtue of wanting to know what happened so that I could yeah. learn upon yeah. and learn and teach upon that um, so I haven't I haven't looked but I, I know for us I mean that's an off-sided carry anyway yeah. so I don't even know how that happens yeah. if she's you know she's taking it from her offside and transferred it to her pistol side which yeah. is what you normally would do if that's what she did or yeah. she carried it pistol side which is a no-no yeah. so i'm not sure i'm not sure what she did specifically so yeah i mean that's often that a lot of civilians will know they'll say why don't they just carry it in the uh, on the other side you yeah. have your your pistol on mm-hmm. your dominant hand your taser on the other side mm-hmm. and i'm like i'm pretty sure she did and, but to me just from like a neurological perspective mm-hmm. when you like krav thinks about this a lot is that we're training for your absolute most panic response mm-hmm. where you're in not at the best neurological state mm-hmm. so your your, your mind brain. is going to default to what you w- you're most trained in mm-hmm. which is her sidearm pistol mm-hmm. but her conscious mind is probably like i need to tase him but her automated response was actually because that's what her her ner- she was overwhelmed and she went to her most primal most instinctual response right oh 100 yeah. percent. i mean ultimately this wasn't i don't think that this was a um psychomotor issue this was a psychological yeah. response to an, a, ho- a hormonal change yeah like she basically was completely overwhelmed from a stress level yeah is essentially what happened right yeah. and, and again i haven't i haven't watched the whole thing so i don't want to i don't want to well I, I think it's just i think I you should it's like just it's so oh i'm not judging it's just no, i looked at me. it from like a neurological training perspective. Sure. i'm like this is a textbook case that you can actually look at mm-hmm. when training goes right and wrong like which aspect obviously it's very unfortunate and it shouldn't happen, but it's like I'm intellectualizing the situation, saying, "Well, she said taser, taser, taser," mm-hmm. so that kicked in, mm-hmm. and the other officers let go. Mm-hmm. But then she shot the guy because she's obviously panicking, mm-hmm. and, and and the civilians watching that is like, "Oh, that's murder!" I'm like, "No, I can see exactly what's going on here," yeah. and this is just a total like this is you know every PR's nightmare. <laughs> but I'm like, this is I find it fast that specific case as opposed to a lot of the other one. It's like I'm just like palm in the face this that particular case is like it's interesting from a training perspective no it is you're absolutely right but here's here's another side of this of this coin as well is is that she'll never recover from that oh no of course period not. Yeah. and and i mean people can sit there and say well you know i woulda and shoulda and coulda yeah. i mean you're sitting on the couch well they have to make those split second decisions and then you have the totality of the circumstances you see from the bird's eye view yeah. mistakes are made this was obviously a mistake that was made but make no mistake about it she is not recovering from that she's never working again for sure (laughs) excuse me and even if she is um, and even if she is back to work yeah how is she recovering emotionally from that if she's a good person which you know likely she is because most of our our officers are so it's not like she's not a good person and if she isn't then we don't want her in the job guaranteed but uh i just it sucks both ways right yeah, it really does. Case. So that brings up the case. Like, I don't think the public realizes just how 
demanding mentally and physically. Like I think uh, being police officers, like the divorce rate for a lot of police, right, is very high. Uh, same for like special forces. It's just that, especially when you get into ERT or that, you're like on call, job first always. Um, now, one of my perspectives in Canadian, because they like RCMP generally 12 on for it, and I think all first responders, police, nurses, doctors, uh, firefighters may be okay because of the way they do their job. <laughs> Sit around and, okay. Um, I just don't think you guys should be allowed to work past eight hours unless it's a specific tasking because of how humans work. And then the reason why we're not doing that is logistics and politics and money. But I just, if we keep acknowledging like, hey, office worker has a 20 minute attention span and you get you the police officers need to be on for 12 hours and make the right decisions i'm like i just think our at least in canada the structural system isn't isn't addressing the mental aspect of the, the stress of being a police officer what, what do you think about mm -hmm. that yeah i i, I kind of have mixed feelings um you know i think in addition to what you're saying definitely the way we run our schedules yeah. isn't right and that you should have a day shift a, a day shift block a night shift block yeah. and a training block yeah so every three weeks should be a training week yeah, right yeah. i mean in an ideal world so like one week day shift one week night shift one training. week training yeah done yeah. right and that's what the team did right that's what we did yeah um and, and, and there were reasons for that and those are all perishable skills and, and and they have to be maintained and not only maintained but they also have to be built upon because yeah. the complexities of the situations that you'll be engaged in will increase yeah and 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 it's good to have the ability to deal with things at a much higher level of complexity um but what i would say is even if you had, um, you know, most of those 12 hours uh, on patrol, yeah. you're, you're not taking your breaks. Yeah. If you are, you get interrupted midway yeah. all the time, midway through a meal or whatever the, ca the case may be. Most of the most of the police officers that work their 12-hour shifts don't even eat properly yeah. because they're running and writing and doing all this stuff at the same time. Yeah. And alternatively, if you were to go to an eight-hour model, now you're looking at having them work every day except yeah. maybe on the weekends, which yeah. doesn't work because it's a 24-7 coverage, yeah. right? So it just that piece doesn't work. But imagine if we did, um, say, for lack of better terms, we would go 12 hours day shift, uh, 12 hours night shift, you know, like two yeah. blocks. Yeah. And then on your third block, it's kind of a deloading block yeah. where you could go down to, you could still do 12, but in there could be, um, you know, resilience training yeah. and and sensitivity training yeah. for when it's needed. It obviously is, and and uh, all these other things. So not only the hands and feet skills in terms of tactical and the application of force, but all the gambit of yeah. things that have to be taught to police officers, yeah. which is massive. So right? it's sort of like it's it's a diffuse a diffusion of the nervous system sure. plus acquisition of skills. Sure. Like I find like, uh, well, I'm a high stress not nice i'm a weird individual but even i find i started going camping and hunting in the last two three years and i find if i don't go out even for a night or two every two months like my natural stress has gone through the roof so just getting like a break from that monotonous like uh, continuous thing and then adding in some training I, I think that's definitely a way to go um some people have said you know one once uh one day a week even for training but i don't know how that works with your guys schedule yeah i just i don't know that it's logistically feasible and yeah. i don't know that you would want that so imagine you you get you hit your first day shift you get hosed by you know a whole bunch of things yeah. and then you have to catch up you have these in custodies you have paperwork out the yin yang and i mean that's one of the one of the other pieces that i think um the public doesn't 
really fully appreciate is that paperwork and 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 the actual administrative stress and policing is completely asinine yeah and so just to go back on one of the things you had said earlier you know speaking of the of the teams and ERT as being the elite of policing and all this stuff it is for the hands and feet and the tactical yeah. stuff um, but when you're talking about say the investigative sections that are that have to be equally as elite but in mm. their own field of endeavors now you're looking at them requiring the same amount of training but on an administrative level yeah. right so to s- you know to, to, to for me to say sit here and say oh this this was much harder well it depends because when I moved into an administrative position after being on the team for 12 years yeah. my stress level was way higher <laughs> than if I dealt with any sort of you know in progress yeah. uh, you know explosion of of action or whatever the case may yeah. be as a team leader even though theoretically my position was an administrative position for yeah. the last two years as a team leader because I was in a command post and and I was you know my guys on the on the ground would be doing their thing and I would be enable enable that uh, you know to happen but um yeah it's just yeah I, I don't know what the perfect schedule is I mean yeah. I believe it it would take people a lot smarter than, than, <laughs> than me to you know to 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 really establish what it's like now the 12 hours is great and that you get four days off yeah and that four days off is a beauty I yeah. mean who gets that yeah. right and it's important for cops not to forget that because really once you've worked a bunch of hours during the day um, it doesn't matter if you go two or three more. Yeah, you know, like it, it really doesn't. If yeah. you have breaks, if you have some consistency. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, to it's just a it's a thought, like because I certainly the, the trying to get better decision making out of policing can be done through maintaining lower stress levels, which means shorter shifts or more sleep or um, whatever the solution is. Though I feel that the public doesn't understand that sort of aspect and and it's not coming out uh, fairly and and you're seeing you know uh i don't know the numbers but uh you know suicide is an issue with policing and military i don't know what the canadian numbers are off the top of my head but uh it's because it's not getting addressed and now you mentioned like a lot of the problems in canadian policing are holdovers of the old school ways it's kind of like you're just resolving all the issues what what did you see as far as mental health uh, is it like are they trying to push like woo wooey or are they pushing more like practical mental health for for officers these days yeah man you know it's it's the whole um sort of mental health strategy is um is is it's a giant beast right but yeah. actually it's really simple so i before i left i was working with a commanding commanding officer uh here in in bc uh, as an advisory NCO and uh, or non-commissioned officer, I, w- I was basically um, an, a, an advisor yeah. to the to the to the commander, and um, y- you know, in in that capacity, I was sent to interview some of the people that have been involved in use of force and critical use of force, where they may have taken somebody's life, yeah. or they may have been their own life is you know almost taken, or whatever the case may be, and to see where the failings of some of the processes, and it wasn't I didn't do it um, sort of clinically. I I did it really introspective. Well, you know, how have I treated my guys? What kind of pro- process did we have so that our guys would be healthy and come back? But not only come back from critical calls, but also go back to one a couple of days later, yeah. and a couple of weeks, and a couple of months later. Yeah. And how do we keep them healthy that way? And one of the things that I came that I came to realize quite quickly is that um, resilience or the or the ability to to take hits, drive on, but also recover from them is intrinsically linked with leadership. Yeah. 
because without leadership you're not getting any of the stuff that's needed yeah. and a lot of the times it's not the event the events themselves that are hurting our people yeah it's the reaction yeah from either the leaders or the process yeah. the clinical process while they're in a highly emotional str uh, and stressed out you know uh, state yeah and so for me i think that we're overthinking the mental wellness piece quite yeah. a bit yeah i think that what needs to happen start with fixing the leadership problem and i'm not yeah. talking about just ranked leadership mm. i'm talking about that's everybody's responsibility as a senior constable as a corporal as a sergeant whatever jocko ownership kind of what thing, are you right? actually doing like what are, what are you actually doing to make a difference yeah. here and also you want to have the right leaders to enable all the pieces for the recovery process but also to give people time to to deload work the recovery process cooperatively do all those things so you need excellent leadership if you don't have that we have a bigger problem so yeah. now you you have a compounding issue so if you're talking about mental you you can come out with 150 different mental health strategies yeah. what that person wanted was for the boss to not treat him like they were guilty of something yeah yeah. And that never happened. Yeah. So that's what's created issues. So you uh, occasionally you will have the person that's seen something horrible, yeah. and, and as a direct link between seeing that if or being involved in that event and what they have seen or done, they are now you know hurting. Yeah. But the majority of the time, yeah, they expect that because when they came to policing, they expected to see certain things that others, you know wish not to see it shouldn't really and 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 what happens is because there was a bit of a mental preparation there preemptively they were they were ready for yeah. that and the hits that you're ready for is better than the hit you're not ready for yeah. what they what they weren't ready for is to get so-called um uh, not abandoned but um what's the word you know like um either mistreated or lost or in the bureaucracy yeah yeah <laughs> either either the bureaucracy yeah. or ha or lacking the support of, of the leaders yeah no that's interesting like because i have a degree loosely in psychology not an, not an expert by it but one of the courses i did was actually psychology of genocide and one of the professors from who i was at Quantlin and they had a speaker a professor from ubc come in and discuss ptsd and you know and i started to see this in college students is is the approach of handling mental health is, I think, as you say, it's just all over the place. And they're, I think they're convincing people that they have PTSD that didn't. Because when you look at the statistics, it's on average 12% of people who experienced a traumatic event develop it. Amongst Holocaust host survivors, it's, it's interestingly less. It's like 10, 11%. But the idea was, their theory is, they were the mentally strong ones that survived. And so... It's the uh, the idea people don't know how to apply it in a way that's meaningful. And I just thought that's why I think a lot of college kids are so anxious nowadays because they've been convinced you have problems. It's like, no, dude, you're fine. And, you know, that's what you learn in like the military or uh, is that mental toughness. And say you take ERT or special force. Well, it's like, guys, these guys are, or, or girls are already mentally strong. That's not what's going to break them. Uh, and then occasionally you'll get someone who just... So I think like actually like shell-shocked. Well, imagine being in World War One after being a farmer in rural nowhere forever. Then that experience is so beyond your understanding, bombs and tanks and to be so overwhelmed. But nowadays our, our bodies are so used to so much stimulus. It's more, I think you're right, it's more about like the de-escalation, just calming your nervous system down, 
and relaxing so that it's not running hot all the time and then of course not getting thrown under the bus <laughs> by the politics or it, it's amazing the amount of issues that that causes you yeah. know a lot a lot of people um it won't necessarily have an issue with what it is that they did or they had to do yeah. but they will have an issue with being tossed under the bus yeah. big time and they should really um yeah it's it's like i said i think here's another thing i i do not like um to support 150 initiatives so yeah. if you're if you're saying to me we are going to fix mental health and policing and we're going to do it by way of bringing introducing these 75 steps <laughs> to i'm like dude you're getting nothing done yeah you are getting nothing done. You don't have the manpower to do it. You don't have money to do it. It's unsustainable. It's unrealistic. Logistically, you can't do it. You can't control it. So how about this? Let's start with training our leaders. And, um, and in the training package, let's have this is how critical incidents, this and critical incidents, when I speak to this loosely, because it could be a divorce. Yeah. For those that have been through a divorce before, yeah. I would take this over a gunfight. Yeah. I would take a gunfight over a divorce yeah, rather, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Uh, it, it just because it causes it causes an incredible amount of stress. And for those that have been through it, yeah. it it's just it's just un, unbearable. But then if you have a leader that doesn't understand because they've never been separated, yeah. they've never been divorced or they don't have kids in the mix or whatever, um, it, it, it could be, you know, easy to be like, well, you know, I, I, I noticed that your 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 performance has declined over the last whatever whatever you know here's some paper or uh, or go out and pick up your socks and do yeah. things versus having that self-awareness and that and that and, and 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 the ability to approach that person and say hey man i've done some research and i've never been through a divorce myself but i do know what kind of stress that yeah. this can cause a person and and i this is how i'm going to support you in these types of things so if you were to teach that in leadership courses yeah. when they come and lead um, people they would do it in a more sensible way which is going which would would prevent yeah so i think i mean it's uh again having seen the woo-woo aspect from a lot of the professors and and coming from like you know i don't have an extensive background in combat and use of force but it's enough and and i i've been trying to figure out how to communicate bridge the worlds right so the strategy i've come up with recently is uh, are you familiar with the jeff cooper color code uh, I'm not sure. Go ahead. Yeah, so Jeff Cooper was an American Army colonel, and he uh, he was a pistol marksman. So if you're like in America, they're all like, "Yeah, I know Jeff Cooper." Like if you're in the pistol shooting world and you don't know that you're name, talking they, about red, this state, yeah, this state, yeah, red, yeah orange white, or yellow, orange. So yeah. I teach that, and then I started to realize, like I've integrated. It's not from Krav. I just integrated it as a way to explain, you know, tactical awareness and stages. And then I realized this is our mental health too, mm -hmm. right? So I'm not going to come and say you need to be mindful. And I'm like, no, just think of the color code. Because if I say mindful to a lot of, you know, macho guys. What does that even mean? Yeah, the, what does it mean? They and write then you off. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, let's think tactical guys because everyone likes that. Or let's think combat. Like, uh, if I have a threat, what stage am I in? What, you know, identified threat. It's orange, okay. And I'm in a fight. It's red. Well, I'm like, guess what? That's no different than your nervous system, mm -hmm. right? If you feel like you're in a fight, right, because you're getting a divorce or you're doing something else, Think of a car now. How long can you stay redlined? And they're like, oh, you can't. And then it's like, now I'm connecting the tactical thing because I'm like, so white, you're completely unaware. And I'll give the example sometimes. Person rocking down the cell phone, uh, looking at it. Well, tactically, they're in white because they're not actually paying attention. Where's their nervous system at? Are they arguing with someone? They might be in red. So they're situationally in white, but their nervous system is actually in red. So I started using the same model to explain both nervous system and tactical situations 
to try and get it down, pare it down more to first principles. And then black, of course, is you just you're not doing fight or flight. You're doing something else, and whether that's good or or bad. Yeah, I actually like. I say there's two. Like, uh, you ever watch the show Archer? The yep. TV, yeah. Mm -hmm. So like when Woodhouse, when his his alleged lover dies and he goes on a rampage, I'm like, that's black. And in his case, he came out alive. So there are successful versions of that or you just pass out and play possum right so yeah but luck is in the strategy yeah <laughs> but i just found how do i unify the more we can unify the, the the all the ideas the easier it is to explain to people couldn't couldn't agree more i yeah. really like what you're doing i think um if i was to summarize it in two in two or three words is basically that you're operationalizing wellness yeah you know like really is yeah. w and, and and it's and it's and it's easy it's easy to cross over yeah well, it's easy when you understand, and yeah. I think that's the problem. A lot of people... Sorry, it's easy to pass on. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand. So uh, I talked to a, psych a therapist once uh, on the podcast a while ago. I, uh, I'm totally blanking on his name, James something. I'll, I'll reference him later. But he was talking about um, therapy for the military guys. Mm -hmm. And they respond so much better when the person leading the group used to be in the military not only just in the military but closer to what they did combat soldier versus some some guy who comes from the university because now you can you can sort of connect and i think that's the big problem is the language that a lot of the academics are using or the ideas they're pushing in mainstream they don't translate to a lot of the worlds that they're trying to trying to work in there's no relatability yeah and that's some of the the similar issues that are faced by you looking at nypd for example and some of the cities um stringent anti-use of yeah. force laws and some of the things that they don't realize that what they're doing here is they're going to create much bigger issues in their city than uh, than well it's measurable now uh, exactly <laughs> they're seeing the it results 100 percent it is yeah. crime went up 300 percent. no shock <laughs> shocking i could have told you that Kevin. yeah right uh so that, that actually moving into that is like appropriate use of force because we kind of alluded to it a little bit but not in depth because a, a lot of people and you go country to country even like i uh the podcast that released two weeks ago was with uh adrian volman who's the head of uh kramaga kapop he's very well known in the uk and sort of their perspective though similar it's this slightly different of what's appropriate use of force because like their cops don't have guns and to me i don't it doesn't make sense to me but you know okay um so what i mean obviously it, it's it's a uh, you can go on for a thousand years on this topic but what when and where what is appropriate use of force in your eyes it's a it's a big topic i, know. <laughs> I mean it's i mean it's a big question i mean yeah. ultimately ultimately an appropriate use of force is what would a person in a similar set of circumstances yeah. with their with a similar set of skill yeah, set and experience one, right? and uh, with their perception of the events um, and in their totality of their own circumstances, made a decision which would be a p which would be deemed to be reasonable by an, by a reasonable person. Yeah, it's like so. How do you how do you do that? Because it's very difficult. Yeah, because you have your own experiences. The lens that you put on when you look at a use of force is, uh, and I'm not talking about completely outlandish things. Yeah, here. let's not let's not you know fool ourselves into thinking that if like we're in the movie SWAT yeah like <laughs> some, somebody does something completely off that yeah. everybody's looking at going what the hell was that and how do you even get to that yeah. those are the separate issues but if you're looking you could have a just as I was talking about the spectrum of personalities you definitely have a spectrum of use of force yeah so depending on your total the totality of your own circumstances and and how uh, the stress is affecting you and your abilities and how you can you know 
it's just if you were to completely brain dump everything that went through your mind yeah. and the reasons why and and based on your experience and based on on who you are as a person and the level of training that you have and all these other things if you were to brain brain dump that on a p- piece of paper and somebody read it they would go yeah under those circumstances yeah. it's appropriate yeah. i still don't think that i would have done it yeah you know maybe uh, but it's based on that it's appropriate so that essentially is the threshold so there isn't a black and white yeah answer to this shocking right it is. <laughs> it, 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 you know but what's 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 interesting is i think what we need to do is and and i think the public is a lot more um understanding that we give it credit for yeah. the problem is is they're not being told they're yeah. not being explained yeah. they're not being they're not being informed yeah. right so if they were informed on how the decision making process and the risk assessment and associated you know, uh, use of force tools, the various tools, and and how we're always a level above because we're not gonna go toe to toe. Like cops aren't paid to to fight; they're yeah. paid to win. We'll Except win. those YouTube videos where they're like <laughs> <laughs> taking their belts off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's we're having we're in a place in society right now. We're having issues with our systems, and there's a clear problem with our systems. And I would I I. Like I think I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of COVID, but what I'm seeing with the systems is they're they are taking that approach. Is uh, we don't need to inform you because you don't understand it anyway. Now I, I've gotten I, mean, I don't know if you've been I get in arguments on this. I'm like, listen, I understand the science just fine, so I know when you're telling me the truth and when you're not. I fully understand that's the data changes and you need to pivot that's not what you guys are doing and i think that mentality of governments and decision makers applies to all these aspects is they don't want to inform people properly because hey if i have an idea of how things ought to be or i have a best solution and then i inform people and they're like no i don't think we should do that that's what i think their resistance is their idea of a leader is not going to be panning out like democracy as a as a concept like the canadian system honestly is not working the way it's supposed to be because otherwise mps or mlas would vote with their constituents more rather than just ideologically with the parties and and you're seeing this it it sort of always goes towards well i need to do as a leader what i'm supposed to do it's like that's not what you're supposed to do here's more information i'm gonna go this way anyway despite the change in information. And then I'll just blame it afterwards on the fact information changes. Like, I think it's just a huge systems problems and nobody knows what to do about it right now. Yeah, it's 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 when things start bleeding into political survival yeah. and you see it. And I was exposed to, uh, you know, a lot of that um, in the organization at times. And, um, and, and at times I'd be shaking my head big time going, what you know what happened here and 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 you could tell there was political interference and all these things so um it's it's tough because then if you open on the on the flip side of that if you open the floodgates and get everybody to give you an opinion a decision will never be made so it's tough right like it's a a balance yeah it's that it's that fine balance but um Hopefully we're out of here soon, man, because I yeah. want to get these gyms open, <laughs> get these mats. Full. Well, I think they will. I, I you know, I, I said I, I don't know if you're in that chat group where they got mad at me, but I was basically telling them what the timeline is going to be. They're like, oh, I'm optimistic. We're going to open tomorrow. I'm like, guys, they're not going to open to end of summer. And I said that like six or seven months, like illegally open for end of summer, like everything on paper the way they want it to be. No, no, no. You need to be optimistic. And I'm like, man, blind optimism is a waste of time, guys. And, and, and I could see what you could see. I'm not. I'm talking about BC specific. I understand 
I think our politicians are weak in BC because they want to appease both sides. You can see there, I think they're following the science a little bit better here, but that's behind the scenes. But their policy is somewhere in the middle because you got the Karens on one side. And they just spent a whole year on the narrative about the vaccine. I'm like, okay, let's say, let's say the vaccine is the cure for all this, which, you know, I'd claim, whatever. Um, they're not going to open up till end of summer based on the way they're behaving and the actions that they're taking. And everyone was like, no, how dare you think like that? I'm like, no, that's what's good. Let's look, <laughs> look what's happening. <laughs> the, the, the amount of polarization yeah. that we have is completely asinine. Yeah. The reason why we have it is worse. <laughs> what's the reason? You know, I, I, I don't even know. I don't <laughs> know what the reason is, but it's completely insane. It's like there is an actual inability to somehow look at things a little bit critically but also, um, you know, have the ability to say, okay, this is reasonable, yeah. and then look on the other side and say, this unfortunately also is reasonable. Yeah. And okay, so where is the truth? Like yeah. s- generally, somewhere in the middle. It's, it, yeah, and sometimes it's black and white, but yeah. it, but it's, it's, you know, it's quite rare. It's just having the ability to say, on on that side of the fence is I don't even know why I call it that. I mean, it's it it. It's not that it is that, but it it's it's almost what it portrays, yeah. you know, over the the last year or two. It's almost like you're on the r- on, on, and they call it the right and the left. Yeah. And I don't really believe in the whole concept. Doesn't but I work just, anymore. No, yeah. I just I don't I don't I don't believe in that. But I certainly believe in people being completely polarized, and yeah. it's either all of that. Therefore, I discount absolutely everything. Yeah. You know what? To make it really really simple, like imagine this: you have a you have a workmate that. Um, you don't like yeah. at all. They're just everything about that person bugs you. There is no single decision that day that a person does that you yeah. will stand behind. <laughs> We've all met one. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's the case. Now, all that being said, if I take the emotions out of that, yeah. is there a possibility that at some point that day that person made a, made the right call? Yeah, yeah. likely. Right, but you can't you can't do it because you're viscerally against everything that person stands for, or the yeah. way they communicate it, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I just yeah, man, it's well, that's the thing. We're emotional. I always tell people, you know, often when it comes to leadership, now you can tell me what you think about this. Is there? I think it's a myth. In some, it depends on the level of leader uh, that the leader always has to be likable, and now in a team situation, I think it's important that you're likable. But in a sort of like if the next level up, the person who's making the really hard decisions, I find the leaders who want to be liked by everyone are the most incompetent leaders. But that contradicts a little bit. Well, the reason why they're doing that is that the whole thing we've been selling people uh, in the last I don't know, 20 years is right. You need to be liked and you need to do these. And, and then actually the algorithms will show if you're more likable and they'll click on it. And, and so we've sort of generated an idea of what a leader should be. But then you look at some of the most effective leaders in history, like Churchill, he was not a likable person. And we've convinced ourselves what good leadership looks like. Now, of course, again, I think there's some levels of leadership, more direct management with teams that you kind of have to you have to get along. Otherwise, it's not going to work, especially when your life's on the line. What do you think of like what leadership and likability? Well, I think those are are not um, necessarily mutually exclusive, right? So you have being likable as a leader, as in having PR abilities and the ability to communicate and not be a jerk and wanting to be liked by everyone is two different 
is two different things. Yeah. Those are not this. They're not one and the same. Yeah. You can be a likable person with a minimum of, 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 um, you know, PR abilities and you can be, um, somebody that's actually you, you you're not you're not portraying to be who you are you're actually not being who you are you're portraying to yeah. be who you think you should be yeah so those are completely different to me i think that most leaders most leaders would benefit from the ability to deal with humans yeah people skills yeah. right i have some people skills yeah. i'm not saying they have to be extroverted i'm yeah. not saying they have to go out for socials i'm not saying any of that but wait w- here's the other thing if you are a really good leader and you are self-aware what do you know? Yeah. You know that you're not that person. Yeah. If you're not that person, then who's that person? Because yeah. you need that person in your organization. And that person needs to be working with you. Yeah. So you are the process owner. You are the decision maker. Or you are the, the person that has the ability to shake and bake and make things happen. Yeah. But who's actually getting the buy-in? Yeah. Who's actually getting... So if I knew, and if I was that type of leader and I knew that I have a shortcoming in that area, yeah. I would get myself a right-hand person... Mm that has the ability to bridge that gap. Yeah. And now what you have done is you've effectively recognized one of your own weaknesses. I'm not the mo- I'm not the most, you know, um uh, publicly capable, savvy, yeah. capable yeah. individual and now I've I've hired someone that that completes me yeah. s- so to speak, you know, um by and and to make sure that our people are taken care of the way they should yeah. and my job as the process owner remains. Yeah. So now yeah, because that just sounds very much like, is this sort of where you're going with uh, Raven, Raven Strategic or with the sort of leadership advice or what's, because sound, you're sounding like a Jocko. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, what, are you, what is that company all about since kind of there? Yeah, so I mean, uh, Raven Strategic is basically an umbrella company because yeah. I plan and I intend to do a whole bunch of things under that. And yeah. the reason why that is, is I'm kind of done with, doing one thing and mm. and i guess cops would say well you never know what your day is going to bring when you're mm. in policing and all this stuff but ultimately what i don't want is to be pigeonholed into one thing i want to so do boring mu- right i know <laughs> i want to do multiple things yeah. um and so and i have a, a skill set that spans on you know 20 years and 25 years that can that can that can really cross um cross over a lot of those things so there is you know a coaching mentoring piece which is yeah it can it could have to do with resilience it can mm-hmm. have to do with how do i get to somewhere where i want to be how do i get to a specialty unit how do i get to this corporate job or mm-hmm. how do i lead this team or how do i get buy-in from my team and i don't seem to be able to and a lot of these people don't even have anybody to bounce stuff yeah of so it's like if you're having issues at work right now and say you're having interpersonal issues with someone and you have nobody to talk to how does this not spiral out of control right so my my company basically has the experienced leaders in critical roles that basically have been there and have done that in in times where if they failed people could have died or would have died right so so it forced them to be that much better at this so what happens is you now get them in touch with say a new leader that just got into a company or just got a new role or maybe it could be as you know just a person that just has a leadership interest or or wants to be more resilient or wants to prepare for the first response world in in whether it's you know um getting experience coping mechanisms or whatever to deal with some of the stuff they're going to see or whatever like all of this is there but there's also i obviously train thousands of athletes Mm. through my gyms over the years which now i no longer have one i have a a jiu-jitsu martial arts studio now but 
uh, for 10 years I had you know multiple gyms yeah. I trained thousands of athletes and tactical athletes and others um, to reach certain you know certain and so that's another piece of the company that we mm. offer so if you have somebody that say wants to go to to selection for mm. a specialty unit whether it's military or or, or police um, w- we can help develop or look at what they're doing critically and see okay you this is where you, you could improve upon yeah. or whatever the case may be there's also the piece where uh, where we at um, so there's the combative training as well because uh, when I was in my time on the team I developed the uh, combatives program for right. the emergency response team uh, in the lower mainland here like unarmed combatives or yeah that's know? right unarmed and I was um, I was in charge of not only putting it together but also delivering it for many years and and I continue to do that I travel to other teams to train their teams and uh, and so what I like to do is customize things and I think a lot of people are stuck in a box so mm. if you're bringing me or if you're bringing a team into a unit where there's some specificity such as maybe you're an, under, an undercover unit or maybe you're a covert unit or maybe you have certain challenges and you can't really communicate them to everybody yeah. well you have somebody that's been in that has the credentials i still have an active security clearance those types of things so i can get in and really with you cooperatively build a curriculum that fits your unit or your yeah um and 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 so that's another important piece now there's a safety aspect as well so i can do safety plans protection plans self-protection plans i can do so right now i'm working on some projects for um you know uh, realtors for example mm. like female realtors yeah. are obviously always at risk yeah. and it's and it's actually uh, a lot more prevalent that yeah. most people uh, give it credit for and so for me it's even uh, even though i am a martial artist i understand that this is not where the war is going to be won yeah what we're worried about is situational awareness. What we're worried about is teaching them the skills that hardens the target yeah. ver- so that they're not selected as a target and yeah. it leaves a very, very small percentage of um, of attacks that would be ambushes, yeah. very small percentage. And, yeah. and that lessens the risk a lot and yeah. how they can you know, uh, uh, conduct their daily operations so that they're m- they maximize their safety. Yeah. So that's another thing that my company does. I'm working on a documentary right now. I'm working on a, s- on a series um, that you know should should take off so we're 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 hope, hopeful that it will yeah. i'm working on a book right now that I, it's doing everything yeah so, <laughs> I'm, so yeah so i'm 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 in a lot of things uh right now and i really truly enjoy sort of the organic um, discovery of what seb lavois as a grown mm. man now is how old are you now as a grown 44. man 44 <laughs> now he's a grown man at 44 <laughs> that's who i want to be when i grow up <laughs> No, yeah, you never stop learning and growing, right? That's oh, yeah, absolutely. The healthy not. mentality, and then you think you do, and then you learn something new. Now, you you mentioned, you know, unrelated to your company specific, it's mm-hmm. it's a victim, being a victim, yeah. right? And then, you know, uh, sorry, where did I, where did I mention that? Well, you were talking about uh, how for how to make female realtors not a target, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Which target. Yeah. I know exactly where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Now. I talk about this and uh, you know I t- was teaching on universities and when I was at university like they did not like me because the way I'm talking about this stuff mm-hmm. I mean obviously the students who stayed like me but the the university ID ethos they're like don't victim blame and I'm like well mm-hmm. you know I said in one of the last podcasts and you know people don't like to talk about it it's like okay so you, a woman got raped unfortunate we don't want that to happen it happened once it came out of left field it's you know uh, uh, it was possibly avoidable but now we have in a situation where it's happened to you multiple times what are you doing decision wise 
But when you start to talk about that, people get very upset because the emotional aspect, right? Don't victim blame. But I, you know, if you're situationally aware, you can't avoid everything. That's impossible. But you can make yourself not be a victim, uh, man or woman, by how you act, by your decision making. And and th- talking like that, which I think is a more closer to objective truth than what's being pushed in the media, it's a hard sell right now because of the culture. So expand. <laughs> it's a tough topic. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I have. Um, I have. A, so there's a there's a police officer that I I trusted immensely yeah. um, that work with me. She's a black female mm-hmm. with a PhD mm-hmm. and she's a sergeant in the RCMP yeah. and um, and she's once said to me do you want to be right or do you want to be dead yeah yeah because we can have these fi- philosophical debate all day and you can you can call it whatever you want but ultimately if it happens to you yeah you do you won't have the luxury of explaining what your th- your thought process was or what you should have or shouldn't have done and yeah I, I'm not responsible for you attacking me or whatever the case may be yeah um, so Yes, there are, there are, I think in the, in the, in the, um, in the spirit of self-awareness, we need to be teaching. So I, th- I think one of the ways around the problem, yeah. the issue is to kind of teach them about self-awareness so that they, and we kind of lead them to water and let them drink yeah. versus saying, okay, look, when you go in a party, uh, Linda, I don't, you know, those are some of the things that you should avoid. Yeah just so that somebody and really when you think about it we they shouldn't have to yeah. at all they, of course, they should yeah. be able they should be able to do anything yeah and 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 we and ha- suffer no no co- you know consequences especially not the types of consequences we're talking about but and we have a lot of teaching to do with boys a yeah. lot yeah. of teaching to w- yeah. to do with boys and it should starts way way earlier but i i totally understand what you're saying i just i just think that it's an absolutely unwinnable yeah. um, situation. So what we need to do, and Patton had a saying, um, the person who flanks first wins, yeah. right? So I tried to not go. I My approach to a lot of things I dealt with in my career has always been, I can flank around this problem. Mm. I don't need to go head on. Yeah. If we go head on, emotions are flaring, yeah. all this stuff. So I may achieve 60% of what my end goal was, by going around, yeah. but I've still achieved the same thing because I, I, what I did is I s- poked them into um, doing an introspection on themselves on how to conduct business yeah. without having the conversation directly. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that having the conversation directly just sh- shuts them down yeah. anyways for the most part. Emotional. Unless there's, there's, there's caveat and there's um, there has been people over the years that came to me and said, I need you to be a hundred percent, you know, yeah. honest with me about this. And uh, there is nothing you can say that's going to, that's going to disturb me. Yeah. And I need to change something. And I'm not sure what that is. Yeah. yeah. And then I can go on and the doors open and it's completely different. Yeah. I'm still obviously sensible. I just don't, you know, kick it open wider, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but definitely I will have that conversation. So then. don't blitz them. Is what you're yeah. saying, <laughs> dude. Like, when it comes to when 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 the things when things are, are are provoking, so so the best way to have a conversation is to have a conversation that 
is right it's almost like a running lactic threshold where you're you're almost getting you know your legs are yeah. jacked or whatever but you can sustain that pace because you're just right on the line yeah. it's kind of the same it's like you can have that conversation and be right on the line and lead the people into basically come up to the same conclusion that you would have imposed upon them but yeah. if they, if they didn't do it themselves they would have been emotionally reactive yeah it's like a middle ground mm-hmm. it's like uh yeah i mean i universities are such an in, uh, easy thing to pick on where they've gone s- they're so adverse now to anything they don't like that you can't even get to the middle ground to f- bring them the water because they're just like nope my flag's here i'm not i refuse to move it's like okay you want to know why you have anxiety it's because you're in a feedback loop and you guys are just keep doing it to yourself (laughs) (laughs) but it's funny because university is such a microcosm of something that's completely foreign to life yeah because as soon as you walk out of there and you start hitting you know real real life so to speak uh good luck yeah nobody you know that is what they've been saying for uh, are you familiar with the Weinstein brothers mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. Brett Weinstein was saying that and he got killed at, you know, metaphorically killed at, uh, at Evergreen College and he said that's what everyone's been saying you just watch and what we all thought was going to happen is these all these people would be unhirable but they've all got hired and now they're in the corporate cultures and you can see the corporations are like they don't know what to do because if they say the wrong thing like the Coke fiasco, if you do or say the wrong thing, you piss off the left. You do or say the wrong thing, you piss off the right. And really all they want is for you to buy their product. And they're just screwing things up <laughs> because they don't want to take a stand one way or the other or in the middle. And it's, it's, it did actually, these people did end up in real life. And that's where we're at now. And it's like, how do we reframe the conversation back to the middle where we can have a logical, <laughs> how do we make everyone feel good while get productivity going where we're not seeing spikes in crime? 300% because your idea sucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have the inability to actually look at it and say, this went up 300%. Yeah, yeah. Because there is, I haven't heard any single conversation from anybody that was asking for the defund the police coming back saying, hey man, we defunded the police and the rates went up 300%. Yeah. Maybe we should reconsider this. Well, they're bi- Biden administration they, they is blaming it. it on guns. And they're like, are you, oh, I, even a reporter was like, are you, are you sure it's guns? Like they were pressuring them, like of course, and then they did the stupid double speak, like uh, it's like no, it's because you took away the punishment for those who are willing to play by their own rules, and then you let them run ri- wild because they will. Um, that's like the predator prey thing. I'm always having to. It's like, so like for example, religion. I'm not a religious guy. I don't find I need it in my life, and I struggle. I was one of those youth that uh, uh, rejected it, and then I listened to an uh, argument from Ben Shapiro. Mm-hmm about why it's important and really what it is 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 people need something beyond themselves otherwise and no matter what we think we inherently revert to animalistic behaviors i was like oh okay i guess that makes sense it's not for me but as long as they're not proselytizing me i guess religion's okay and there's a guy named uh, naval ramakant who said you either find god or have children because both of those things will be something bigger than yourself right so if we take away personal responsibility which a lot of these people are and you don't have generally accepted rule sets that are reasonable that everyone follows because that's not what's going on, right? Everyone's got their own rule sets and nobody has anything bigger than them. You see what happens, right? And that's their ideas are fine. Like I trying to rectify that, you know, quote left and right is okay. The ideas that they have are okay. It's their application that's the problem. And then sometimes on the right, they don't want to change or they're, um, for example, a lot of my friends, 
or in the craft world who are like you know been pleased for a long time you know, Vancouver is a very different story but it's, let's say you're in New York or you're, they still have that hardline anti-drug stance it's like guys come on <laughs> not working guys <laughs> we're not winning yeah. this war and it's like you got to get people in the middle like uh, I was listening to the mayor of Austin talk about homelessness he was on Rogan. good for him right you want to you want to inform the public that's how you do it mm-hmm. You got to get the homeless people off the street and give them no unconditional place to live. That seems to be consistent. But then the conservative side, which is totally fair, is what if they wreck everything? Now, his stance was real. Our homeless problem is it's a jobless problem and they just need to get back on their feet versus a Vancouver homeless problem, which is a very big mental health issue. And people try to treat them the same, but they're not right. Because if I give that mentally ill, severely mentally ill person a room, they're going to wreck it because they're going to like I've seen schizophrenics just destroy their rooms. And and that's where the conservatives are like, that's not a good solution. Look what he's doing. And then the left wing are like, well, they're a human being, too. I said I didn't say they're not right. But we have to find the solutions for these problems, which is in the, <laughs> in the <center. laughs> it's 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 so hard. It, you know, it's almost like, again, in an ideal world, which is really, really um, difficult to do, but in yeah. an ideal world, we would provide enough information that we would hit the reasonable masses in a in a in a sweet spot. Yeah. Where okay, I have now been um, informed on both sides of this argument, and now I, my informed decision is this, and I understand what they're doing. I yeah. don't think it's perfect, but yeah. I think it works. You know. Uh, uh, but we we don't have the ability to do that Cause logi- logistically and 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 it just would be you couldn't you you couldn't possibly communicate you know fast enough and and have buy-in fast enough and have people even have time in their own lives to dedicate to learning the yeah. things that just wouldn't work yeah so it's uh it's a very interesting it's a very interesting world we live yeah. in man i you know i'm actually I'm actually kind of glad I spent 44 years <laughs> already, so yeah. <laughs> I don't have to be here. For well, you if all all hell breaks loose, you yeah. have the skill set to survive, so you're fine, <laughs> right? That's what I tell you know people. It's like it's not paranoia. It's it's this idea that society it's normalcy bias essentially. It's, oh, it was fine yesterday. It's going to be fine tomorrow. It's like for all you know, we could be at war with China tomorrow. Like it just it's like a thing, and then everything is to shit, and all your comforts are gone. And now, guess what? You don't have the skill set to survive when the internet's gone and all that sort of stuff. Because maybe an EMP goes off, and this isn't paranoia, right? The one I like to use is solar flares. You're like, that's never going to happen. It's like it has, and it can, and there's nothing we can do about it. Are you prepared for that world? I mean, not not like a hoarder prepper prepper, but just like, hey, can you survive for two weeks on your own? A lot of people don't have that. <laughs> You know, what if I said to you um, a year and a half ago, look, here's what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> we are going to go underground. Venice, Italy will be, the water will be clear. Yeah. Birds will be flying everywhere. There'll be nobody in sight in the, in one of the most crowded sp- or or some of the most crowded spaces in the world yeah. in Rome and otherwise in other countries. You guys are going to wear masks like we did during the Spanish flu in 1918. Uh, you will be unable to hug people you love. You won't be unable to visit and all these other things. Like you would have been accused of being a, a, a total <laughs> doomsday prepper I and, know, and right? Looney Tunes. I mean, it is absolutely foreseeable yeah. that something could go majorly pear-shaped. Yeah. And one of the things is fi- finding that balance, right? So 
Uh, I like the quote, I'd, I'd rather be a, a warrior in the yeah, garden than I a gardener quote, in the yeah. war. Yeah. <laughs> Have the skills you need, hope you never need to use That's them, right. make sure they don't go away. And, and but it's something else we, we, we just spoke about that I kind of wanted to circle back to. Yeah. So here's why I really, really like Dana White. Because he's I, like, I'm going <laughs> to... No, no, I just... I just it, it's funny, man. Like, yeah. a lot of people don't like Dana. And I'm like, I just laugh all the way through his press conferences all the time. Yeah. Because he has somehow... He's one of those very rare character that can actually put his foot down yeah. on things and suffer zero consequences yeah. ever, yeah. right? And probably because he's obviously brings an, a, an extreme amount of money to some big corporation. Yeah. But, but th- the bottom line is, how does a guy like him... So I guess there, there's two explanations to this. It's either the crowd that he attracts yeah. that's more conducive to have the ability to receive criticism and, and feedback and be told things the way they are without getting hurt, mm. so to speak. Or it's just a, an, an, a, you know, a, an incredible quality that he has to be able to say, <laughs> put his foot down and tell you when something you're saying is completely off and and call people out on their on their BS, so to speak, yeah. and um, and 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 move on. I mean, he is one of the rare. I, yeah. When was the last time you saw a CEO of any company do that? Any to, company to stand up and just say that? Yeah, <laughs> it is very rare. Without flipping your yeah. vest. And one of the things that Jordan Peterson says all the time is the day you flip your vest, it, not if you realize that you made a mistake. And 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 in light of the totality of the circumstances, you're saying I changed my stance on this. It's not what he's referring to yeah. what he's talking about is when you are flipping your vest on account of people yeah. being offended but now the camera is on i'm going to be different yeah or or i'm going to come back on something i said that yeah. i truly believed in yeah. because it offended people yeah, yeah. if you do that you get it's it's and i you know it's very primal because what happened to armies when the romans got in and what happens when s- things didn't go their way and they flipped and turned yeah. and beat hill yeah. next thing you knew Everybody was chasing them, and it's chasing's thing kicks in, and you're just getting slaughtered. Yeah, there is a single time in the story, in the history of mankind, that flipping your heels on a battle that you were losing paid dividend. That's <laughs> why they say apologizing <laughs> to the woke mob is going to end your career. You have to stick to. You know, I think with Dana White, this is what my thoughts. Yeah. He's genuine. If you start that is correct. Yeah. That way, before and after you get famous, it won't affect your image. But if all of us if you're one of these people who put this fake thing to get into power and all of a sudden the stress is kicking in and now you can't handle it and you have to drop the ruse, it's like relationships, right? Past the puppy dog phase. It's impossible to maintain. So if you get famous being genuine, uh, you know, I struggle with this because I'm extremely genuine. I'm very blitzkrieg people, right? Well, that's probably where the issue is. And when I was growing up, it's like you need I'm to... I'm surprised you're using that analogy. And we want to talk leadership as a piece of shit as Hitler was. He was effective, yep. right? Um, and uh, you, I was talking, right, you know, be yourself. I, I just think it's the most ironic. Be yourself, be an individual, think for yourself. And now it's come full circle where if you actually do what they taught you as a child, the mob will come for you. You won't get the money. You won't get the connections because I think humans have created like we all love entertainment but we've created a false view of what it is to be human because of hollywood or narratives or what relationships are cinderella effect you know people think oh it's lovey-dovey i'm like that's not what makes good relationships and i've been pushing forever we need to be honest a lot more 
you know we don't need you, white lies are fine like you just don't want to piss them off they just like but we're lying about what it is to be humans you got some people who are like no humans aren't violent anymore the suburb karens and like how dare you do martial arts that'll make you violent it's like what are you what are you talking about and then you got the other side which is to screw up still in a country or wherever that's not great and they don't we per sugarcoat what everything is and if we're just honest hey yeah people still kill each other guys and and we can start to find solutions faster instead of lying about like stop electing politicians because they have nice hair or they say the right thing because that's not who i want to be the leader i want the person who can show they can execute what's their voting record what's their policy because we keep voting these douchebags in who just talk and look good like our current prime minister and they just destroy everything because they clearly don't know what they're doing <laughs> Right. Funny story on that. the The very first time I um, I was me I met him in person. Oh, yeah, we're yeah. working at, at close protection, and yeah. he comes over and uh, shakes my hand. And I look over at the boys, and I was like, Jesus, I gotta he, wash my hand. No, no, no. It wasn't even that. It was like <laughs> the softest handshake oh, yeah. you've ever been yeah. given. Um, and I remember it. It I went home that day, and I I spoke to my daughters, and I'm like, Okay, we're gonna learn to to shake hands yeah. today. <laughs> so we don't want to be breaking people's hands, but we want it to be firm and 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 say i'm here yeah you know and uh and so i brought the girls over to the gym and there was a lineup this is pre-covid but there's yeah. a lineup after the uh, the bjj class yeah. and i had everybody shake their hand as a you know <laughs> as a practice run yeah. and it was it was awesome they looked at me like i was that's weird good. now one perspective is hey that's chauvinistic masculine bullshit and the mm -hmm. other perspective is hey do you know what one of the most consistent uh, indicators for long life it's good grip strength mm -hmm. just saying if mm -hmm. you want to flip that <laughs> oh, I, mean, I mean fitness and in the fitness world now i mean the the benchmarks and the and the types of fitness that the chicks are achieving on the yeah. daily in these in these functional system systems oh, yeah. is like please uh this has nothing to do with gender yeah trust me yeah. it, evidently it doesn't well i saw in, in israel i was uh i was in the infantry regiment givati mm -hmm. and on our base uh i'm forgetting their name that was the com combined combat unit so men and women right and, and for anyone who doesn't know you can shit on israel you want they have openly gay people in the army and nobody cares and if they do they'll boot them like they don't care uh of course so that you know a lot of the uh a lot of them go there but some you of the mean women they'll, they'll boot the people that make fun of them yeah, yeah if yeah. you're being a dickhead they mm -hmm. kick you out um so i had a couple not directly but a couple gay commanders nobody cares they're really good at their jobs that's all that matters and but my point was the you know, me just watching the combined the male female combat units which took them a long time to have the main their main concern was uh if they get captured they'll get raped and that's why they were resistant for so long but then they finally said okay fine and some of those women were outperforming the men in infantry and it's like oh shit right uh they can do it too guys <laughs> the, the capacity the capacity of women to to withstand pain yeah. and suffering and yeah. we can we, i think we can attribute it to this little thing called if men were giving birth yeah, none right. of us would have babies <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah they they their pain threshold their pain tolerance but i would say their willpower is on it's unshakable like yeah. it's 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 really really tough to match and um and now they're just they're starting to really come out of that years of socially induced yeah. um uh, sort of pseudo boundaries you know yeah. that we were keeping them in um man we're seeing some and i think over time we'll see some some serious changes in that area as well i'm just i i think we'll, we'll find the balance eventually i think the pendulum has gone a little way too hard one way to overcompensate for the years of uh, of not equalization but i'm hoping it 
gets a little bit more in the middle. <laughs> well, yeah, I, 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 and I'm the same way. I agree with you in terms of, uh, so for me as a visible minority, yeah. one of the things that always uh, that always uh, created issues for me was the affirmative measures. Right? <laughs> because discrimination is not a fix to discrimination. Yeah, It's just not. So I, I know what you are doing in principle on paper, and it almost makes sense, yeah. but it doesn't. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because the, the, the solution is human. It's a human solution, right? I educate you. I teach critical thinking, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think, was it Kevin Hart was talking about it? He's like, if we want to solve like the ghettoization of America, we need to teach financial literacy mm-hmm. uh, to people. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. Everyone needs to learn financial literacy. Not ju- It's ir- irrelevant of race or, or, or background. You know, that's why wealthy stay wealthy. If they don't know, they just hire someone who can do it properly and hope they don't get robbed. But like that's that's why wealthy people do well. If they don't know, they can just hire, right? So if you don't have the money to hire, guess what? You got to learn financial literacy. Like my girlfriend is a financial planner, and she has been kicking my ass about smart financial decisions, <laughs> which no one taught me. Right? I'm trying to figure out. I think this will work, and then you wonder why it spirals. It's because well. There's there's certain basics that if you're not taught, people think it's intuitive, but it's not, Mm -hmm. right? So if we want to solve a lot of these problems, it is education, not indoctrination, education. Mm -hmm. And someone asked me the difference. I think I said, well, education is I give you the tools and what we know now and you figure out the rest later versus this is what it is or else. Mm -hmm. And because I think a lot of people are confused on if you like if you get called a racist for countering with evidence. That's indoctrination. That's mm-hmm. not education. Hundred percent is, for example. Yeah. But it also, it, yeah, and it's and it's an emotional response, yeah. which is which is such a uh, funny because we're 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 cerebral being, right? So yeah. well, we're emotional being, but because we have the ability to think with our heads, people think that the ten the ten percent of thinking that we actually do with our heads and is conscious yeah. in, in nature is actually the ninety yeah. percent, which isn't the case. So I don't know if that makes any sense. But basically humans have ninety percent emotions yeah. and ten percent conscious behaviors. But because the conscious behaviors are conscious, they think it's the other way around. Yeah. But it's quite evident as we see right now that we're bundles of emotions that cannot be contained. <laughs> yeah. And we're having a real, real hard time to see past our own emotions. And if we compound these issues by adding it just gets worse yeah. and that's exactly what happened during covid yeah well i think that's there is so much to unpack first of all because i was listening to neil degrasse tyson he's like we use more than uh, 10 percent of our brain yeah, stuff sure. so just it's a metaphor right yeah, of course it is but yeah I, I have you ever read the book dune by frank <laughs> herbert i have so yeah, yeah it's, it's i i excellent it's book, the best yeah. book ever um the benny Gesserit, the these uh, female-led sect is about they view all sentient beings as animals until they can show they're human through the ability to control emotion and pain. And I think in human evolution, we're, we're getting to that point where we're, we are finally, hopefully, maybe coming out of being animals. We're still there. You know, a lot of religious people are like, no, we're not animals. We're here. But I'm like, ah, we're still stuck to our the, the fight or flight mechanism. We don't have conscious control over a lot of it. We're, we're some people like Wim Hof. Mm-hmm. They've hacked their body and, and getting the whole collective to that next stage is, I think that's kind of where we're at and you're dragging some people kicking and screaming while other people are just going while completely uprooting everyone's lives. And then the emotional animal, uh, I, 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 w- I, I can't draw if I could, I would have done this political meme where it's, uh, like a leftist or pro- a progressive, like dragging and going forward and being held back 
by uh, a rope in one frame and then the next frame or then they're like why won't you why won't you progress forward and then they're being weighed back by a conservative who's saying i'm all i'm all fine for 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 going forward but there's a cliff in front of you right Mm -hmm. and that's if we're not careful we can go off that cliff if we just veer right and get the right mindset and realize we are becoming more now we're still animals you got to accept that but we might be moving towards the next stage soon and i think that's why there's so much confusion and nobody knows what to do <laughs> do with it because the, the systems, as I said, we were sort of alluded, or I think they're broken, not because they're broken, but because they're the wrong systems for now, mm-hmm. and we need to change. And it's getting people to do that. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, change is uncomfortable. Yeah. Things that are uncomfortable are deadly yeah. as far as human primal, you know. Yeah. Uh, so y- if you were in a cave and, and, and you're walking out of your cave and – you're comfortable in walking out without scanning. Um, you get you get taken by a T Rex yeah. or some sort of saber tooth tiger. Do that. <laughs> yeah. So so you know from a primals, but I I believe you are correct, and I'm hoping that that's a, actually the case that we're yeah. we're moving to the next step of this. Because there's two choices here: we get better or turn this place into a parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just saying. I was talking to some years ago. I'm like, the future is uh, obviously humans are drawn to cities. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be hard to get away from, from a sustainability perspective. But we need to make the cities green. I was talking about green architecture and how eventually they're going to have high rises with like greenhouses all in them just for sustainability. And like, no, that's crazy. And now I start seeing it. There's a architect in Taiwan that's putting one up. And I'm like, it's, it's the innovators and those who are different who will drag everyone forward. But it needs to get social acceptance without pissing them off so much that they get killed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So one of the problems that I see with um, change, like cr- uh, critical change that is much, much needed is that generally we wait way too long yeah. to realize that it's needed and yeah. we need to have some serious adverse consequences to the current system yeah. so that we move on to the next one. Yeah. And, you know, I just think that um, it, it would be nice to consider things earlier mm. and, and versus waiting for the apocalypse to hit before we make a call on certain things. Well, I mean, that's about the data, right? If they're more transparent with the data and you teach people more, right? So like, you know, environmentalism. I think environmental alarmism is insanity. As in, we're all going to die. And I'm like, you need to stop, Mm -hmm. stop doing that. But I know what they're doing. They're using fear. The green initiative now is moving forward just for the same reason the space race is moving forward. Because Elon Musk said, you guys aren't doing shit. Hold my beer. Fuck you. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, he's succeeding. Like, I remember NASA guys talking about, uh, and Neil deGrasse Tyson is being a bit of an idiot about this. It's like, oh, you need NASA. You need the government. Nobody else can do it. There's no incentive. Nobody, nobody. And it's like, what have you guys been doing for the last 20, 30 years? You've become complacent. And someone came out of left field, said, mm-hmm. you guys aren't doing it. I'm going to do it. And now all of a sudden, all the car companies are going electric. We've had the technology for a while. They're all going electric. It just takes that 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 wave because he got the uh, what Elon did was he made it cool first so that the public wanted it. And then he started going. Right. Yeah, man, it's 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 incredible. And it's funny from the corporate world. So one of the big difference, uh, one of the the big differences between the world I was in, which was the policing world and (coughs) the entrepreneurship world or the world that I'm in currently and what I'm seeing from my friends that are business um, people that are very successful is that they will go on on completely outla- outlandish, uh, you know, claims, yeah. and and they will, they will essentially because if and if I look at it 
objectively, my in my line of work, um, risk assessing had to do with physical harm for the most part and then a, a little bit of organizational harm, but physical harm mostly. And if you yeah. have to do that, then you can't really gamble too much on certain things. Mm. But if you're in the corporate world and you have a certain amount of money set aside to do something and you want to do a completely outlandish pro- project yeah. and it doesn't pan out, yeah. nothing happens. Yeah. You move on to your next project yeah. and one of them will actually pay dividend mm. because you can hit by volume and you can actually get to a point where you're successful with something. So one of the big differences is for me, every time one of my business partner or mentors was saying, you know, you should do the A, B, C, and D, I'm always like, well, you know, this this you know actually i would need blah 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 and and this i would need and so i became my own disabler yeah. and, and business people are very much not like that yeah. and, and 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 business people such as elon musk yeah. are even sort of less uh you know uh, what's the word um on a leash right yeah. like he just does he, whatever he wants yeah <laughs> and then he gets to a point where his wealth is allowing that as yeah. well and then there's less risk and the, the less risk he, he has the more risk he can take yeah and it's just it's an it's an incredible thing because we're gonna have to keep up man yeah well that business mindset like uh it's a balance because like i've always been like oh, i have this idea what i want to do i'm just gonna do it and i got him mad at anyone who said you can't do it and what i realized is I may have been right, but I needed the advice. You need the sort of this does work, this doesn't work, right? That mindset alone. That's why you need the tools to do it, right? If you, uh, what, um, an underestimation on my part was how popular Kramaga was going to be in, uh, in Vancouver. So I did the classic overexpand, over in leverage, overgo, thinking if I build it, they will come without realizing there's no demand so i should have kept it small mm-hmm. right now it took me years to recover from that actually COVID has helped me i'm capitalizing on it uh i think pretty well i think i'm going to come out on top but it's like if you don't have that one success to make up for all the failures oh that's why a lot of people crash like we always like to take the elon musk well he's the one who succeeded mm-hmm. right now you look at angel investors they invest in 10 people knowing one of them will make their money back knowing that everyone else is going to fail. And that's like the hard reality of success is a lot of people failed for everyone's success, but as an individual or a business owner or anything, it's you just learn from it. So you, uh, successful iterations. Now, not everyone can be Bill Gates and not everyone can be Elon Musk and people need to stop selling that because most people can't. Mm-hmm. You just need the iterations of yourself to be the better version of yourself. Sure. And convincing people that is, that's the hard part a lot of the time because they are pigeonholed in, in the, uh, the mindset right so i know one one area you're probably going to be working is that mindset Mm -hmm. right um if i was to take someone with like uh that's just struggling mentally from just lack of success how would you approach that whether it be business or otherwise yeah i mean it it all depends what the culprit is right like are they are are they responsible for their own demise or is there a, a you know a set of circumstances that's pit them against overwhelming odds and those are very different what are their goals um and and how have they gone about reaching those goals or operationally operationalizing their abilities and their skills and their knowledge and where is are they you know sometimes bouncing something off of somebody that's outside the realm of what you are doing is is really providing that critical oversight or that or that bird's eye view that you are no longer because you're completely ingrained in what it is that you are doing um and i find that a lot of the times um i will talk to to people and go 
you got too much on the go you have you, you know you need to and not to use paraphrase Jocko but I will I mean yeah. it, it's not a concept that Jocko invented anyways but yeah. but prioritize and execute yeah. and you're not prioritizing and executing you're you're kind of looking at, at at life through a strainer mm-hmm. and you have take a, a flashlight put it through a strainer you, you, your rays are going in all kinds of direction what yeah. I need you to do is laser focus on something yeah and um and having the awareness that the other things are there but you need to pick something and pick at it and then you know make a an, a, an actual decision so a lot of the times people are not self-actualizing because they they just they just want to do too much yeah. at once i'm guilty of that yeah, yeah and sometimes having that conversation and say look man like you're doing everything right and and you're full of drive you're full of determination you're a super solid individuals but you're taking too much on yeah. and what you need to do is make a decision on what your next step is and focus on it yeah you know yeah. um and i did the same with the organization i mean we had um initiatives for something called uh, say division 150 which was essentially um it was is supposed it's supposed to be a a better leadership and a better organizational model you know it encompasses you know our people and taking care of our people the leadership the stewardship and all these other things there's a bunch of other things but i went to um to a meeting um i went to a meeting in ottawa and i basically looked at um the provinces were bringing in what their initiatives were to make things better in their own province mm-hmm. or their own division and all of them had a hundred initiatives and i'm like um, <laughs> excuse me ma'am uh this isn't gonna work yeah. like it, it simply isn't it, it isn't gonna work because you can't have a hundred things you want to do and get any done mm. like you, it just and then and then you 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 have shifting priorities and competing interests and all these other things it's just not gonna work so sometimes it's just a matter of somebody bounces something off of me and we have that conversation and the very first realization is that they're on the right path they're just taking too much on yeah so it could be it could be as simple as that now that's uh, interesting because like jocko often talks about decentralization and mm-hmm. like the, the the modern trend is cryptocurrencies decentralization how much of that is in the it's too big too many voices too many cooks in the kitchen and if you decentralize and give the right leadership right that's sort of like jocko's thing mm-hmm. right is that sort of in the line with what you saw that it's just too much trying to control everything at a too big a level yeah yeah yeah. there's no question that that's precisely the biggest issue that we had was a lack of decentralization of command there is no question so so but here's here's where this gets interesting so if you if you are putting people in positions that you trust them to be in then give them power to go along with those with those with the trust right because you can't give responsibility without power yeah because all you're basically um setting your people for for failure the years you're you're setting them up for failure there's be no way to lead that way but also you need to understand that you don't have the ability to lead across the country yeah like you just don't your sphere of influence and your span of control is about five people yeah so take care of your five top people they take care of their top fives and they take care of their top fives and it goes down the chain what you need to do is establish the culture in this organization yeah that's your job but the job of like making decisions that are relevant to their specific province in taking into consideration the totality of the circumstances has nothing to do with you. Yeah. And things are going to be different depending yeah. on where you are and who's making the calls. And not all calls have to be the same to be right. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like our 
the current gun situation in Canada where they're making laws for Toronto's needs. Shots fired. Yeah, <laughs> and it doesn't work. It just is insane about what's... And they're just ramming it through for the sake of political... Now, I, I feel like this is why Canadians and, and, and individuals feel helpless or an employee feels helpless when they're like, you're, you're not listening to me. Oh, we really care about everyone's voices. Hey, our entire group of people is being ignored. Hey, here's some evidence. No, 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 no. You, you don't understand what you're talking about because I need the, I need this to happen for my game. And Toronto votes basically make or break the election a lot of the time. Montreal votes too, uh, which is, is, you know, in, in our country is alienating Western Canada. At what point do we break up because they're, they're being too centralized in their, their approaches consistently, um, it's the same. It works at all levels, right? Mm-hmm. You just piss everyone off if you're too far removed from from the the people you're trying to help. And I think Canada is actually a textbook example of why not. You need to decentralize a little bit more. <laughs> it's falling apart a little bit. <laughs> no, I I I I totally agree. Um, I think you're absolutely right. Um, it, it, you know, being from the from the East Coast myself. Yeah. Um, the political scene is pretty much one of the reasons why I wanted out. Ah, and it's crazy. There's right a now. there's a lot, <laughs> and, and and it was then too. Yeah. This was you know, uh, with the 101 law or whatever it was, where yeah. everything had to be in French yeah. and whatever, and it was just it was completely uh, it was completely insane. Yeah, they're, but, they're doing it again right now. And in the 70s, yeah. it was the FLQ, and yeah. it literally was like war. Yeah, in yeah. Quebec. So my my mom's from Montreal. Yeah, she left. She was not francophone though. I never learned French. My f- my grandfather spoke French because he grew up on the streets in like the 1930s. So on the streets. Yeah, and it's a little <laughs> bit different back then because <laughs> I think his his father died in the 19 the the pandemic the Spanish flu pandemic okay. whenever that was yeah. so then he ended up uh, on the streets and I never learned the French unfortunately but she left for that reason because she's much more uh, English speaking she's like I don't want to deal with it <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm out right it's that you know that's I- interesting like culture I, I talk about it in self defense because it matters if you don't understand the culture you're dealing with you're gonna either piss them off or it's not gonna come off well. And then we have in Canada the idea of multiculturalism, and I'm not sure the Canadian idea of multiculturalism is actually working because all I see is a lot of divided groups that are pretending to work together but doing their own thing, really. Uh, like in Vancouver, uh, Richmond, it's like predominantly Chinese now, and you meet teenagers there who they basically are acting like it's in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't even feel like uh, I'm in Canada sometimes. And some people are like, oh, that's good, diversity's good, but it's like everyone's if you if you go too much the other way it doesn't doesn't work either mm-hmm. right you know you know what's funny is uh and and i let me disclaim this before yeah. i uh before i hunt before i unpin a grenade and toss, <laughs> toss it in a room full of babies yeah. but um but i, I was married to uh, a chinese woman mm-hmm. my current girlfriend is chinese my daughters yeah. are chinese both of them well half chinese uh both of them uh well actually half all the other things i'm mixed up yeah. uh, mixed with as well but um but i can one of the things that's never ever spoken about is how actually inherently racist a lot of the Asian cultures are. (laughs) Really? And it's, and it's interesting. And this is coming from my, this is coming from my wife, you know, like she, um, my wife used to be told by her parents, um, if you, if you do this or if you do that and you're being a bad girl, I'm going to drop you off at a black man's (laughs) house. (laughs) Right. That's ridiculous. And, and and what's funny is, so I, I heard that the first time and of course it, it turned out to be an on event 20, 20, 30 years later because I was in the family and they accepted me just fine. But what's interesting is 
then I move on. <laughs> then I move on, um, you know, with an, another girlfriend, yeah. which shall remain unnamed. And <laughs> she had the exact same experience. Yeah. Her parents were also Chinese and they were telling him the same thing. Yeah. So, and then, and then you have the, the and this is this transcends the Chinese. Yeah. A lot of cultures are doing that. It's like, yeah. oh, this is not I mean, racism. Every culture this, is this, racist. <laughs> this, this is not. This is not. Uh, this is not racism. This is cultural. Yeah, we want blacks with blacks. You know, like say, if a black person says to their kids, you know, I want you to be with a black person because it's going to be easier for you. Blah 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 blah. Or this is a culturally accept, uh, acceptable practice. Yeah. Or if the Chinese say we want the Chinese to marry the Chinese or the East Indian to marry the East Indian. Yeah. It becomes it it becomes it's no longer a racism issue. It becomes a cultural yeah. issue. No, that's not a cultural issue. <laughs> that's what racism is. Like it essentially do is. not be with this other group. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm dating Chinese too. I yeah. mean, I grew up in Richmond. It's inevitable. Um, but uh, that you know, that's the interesting. Like when I was in Israel, so you have uh, Sephardic Jews, Ashkenazi Jews, uh, Mizrahi Jews, Ethiopian Jews. And then Russians who were sometimes not even sure if they're Jewish or not. They just used it as an excuse to get out of Russia. Um, but like, so I was in a situation when I first went to Israel and I grew up here, like culturally it's diverse in like Asians and Indians and all that. And, uh, you know, if I'm attracted to a girl, it doesn't matter what, what background they are. And uh, I'm like, oh, these girls are really pretty in this city. And uh, someone close to me was like, oh, yeah, but they're they're like, they're Mizrahi Jews. They're not, you can't do it. And I'm like, what the fuck? I thought we were all Jewish. And you realize that this is, it's just a human thing. It has nothing to do with one group or the other, right? That's why then the, this conversation right now in the media public is disturbingly silly because they're not being honest. It's like what I was talking about. Can we please acknowledge that everyone... Every culture, every group is racist to some degree. <laughs> there is no question. I mean, yeah. there is no question that that's the case. And ethnocentrism is real. Uh, you know, thinking that somehow the group that you belong to somehow is superior, yeah. either, either genetically or <laughs> that's that's where you get real dice. <laughs> I know, I know, and it's and it's an incredibly dangerous prospect. Yeah. Like, and it's completely flawed. Yeah, it, you know, it, it is completely flawed. Yeah, there's no question. There's no question about that. But we need to be when we address racism, it needs to be across the board. Yeah. I don't want to hear things such as this is not racism is cultural. Yeah. No, actually, you know, uh, this is straight up racism and we need to we need to address it. In my issue. culture, it's like, yeah, you're racist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's interesting, like. I think it, uh, if we want to get down to first principles, it's actually it, it's consistently the same problem. It's like understanding and having the knowledge is so like, you know, Chinese girl I'm dating, you know, you have a lot of conflict early on because you're butting heads like, no, it needs to be done like this. And you're like, why does it need to be done like this? I do it like this. And then, you know, and, and at least if it works towards a healthy relationship, doesn't always, of course, then you realize, oh, I like that. That works better. And oh, this way works better. And then sometimes you get in the argument. Like, Why aren't you doing it like that? It's like, well, no one's ever shown me to do it. Well, it's common sense. No, it's not. Like my, my yeah. family doesn't do it like that. And it's just, it's the same for, I think, dealing with like COVID or dealing with these issues. It's like, okay, well, what's, what is, what's on the table? What's the actual kind of truth? It's like, are we doing this thing just because that's what we were told or are we doing this thing because it's the best solution to the problem because humans have a tendency to go to uncomfortable right it's actually i think that that sort of decision making process in the human human condition is is universal and that's where we need to fix it right 
are we solution oriented or are we comfortable oriented and it's not too many people think they're being solution oriented but but they're not like the the relationship analogy it's like we both want to eat we don't want to have an argument trying to eat about the right way to cook this thing <laughs> so you have to come with the workable solution mm-hmm. oh your way is better for this but my way is better for that and we just didn't know right it's <laughs> we're all about relationship man yeah. we're all about we're all about it yeah like you can't navigate this this place and this you know um do we even know what we're doing here sometimes you know? <laughs> no. I, I, you know i think that's our politicians need to admit where i didn't know what i was doing no no i <laughs> meant i meant as humans like oh yeah, yeah, yeah it's a good question does anybody know <laughs> what was i listening to there was time about oh john if you listen to the john danaher podcast oh, do, he's been yeah. doing recently uh the one he did on lex freeman yeah, yeah. just the whole you know what it means to be human and purpose and that you're seeing that come pop up everywhere now is w- again we're at that transition phase and where we're we seek purpose and too many people don't have purpose mm-hmm. and they don't know what to do with themselves I don't know if it's purpose that that's missing or it's the credit they want to take for the sa- said purpose. So he, one of the things that Le- Lex Freeman had said that was quite interesting in that podcast, and he's a very smart guy and I respect him a lot, yeah. um, was, so he asked John, does it worry you, and I'm going to butcher this yeah. a bit, but Still, does it, they said a lot. It's hard to remember. Yeah. Does it, does it worry you that when you die, your, your legacy dies with you mm. and that essentially everything you brought to the table is gone with yeah. you. And I'm going to say that for a guy that's as smart as Lex Freeman is, that's a gross oversimplification. Like, think of it this way. Do we care about the good that we bring into this world yeah. or do we care about taking credit for the good that we brought into yeah. this world? Because those are two different concepts. Because yeah. I can say beyond, uh, you know, I think a reasonable doubt that something that Julius Caesar did probably is part of my DNA today. Yeah. Right. And and so if I bring good and positivity in this world and I end up dying, how many lives have I affected? How many lives are those lives affected? How many lives those lives have affected? Yeah. So then basically there is a um, a proliferation of of what you have brought and the positivity that you have brought. And you don't know where this may manifest itself. It could be in thousands of years. But. To, to think, so, so the issue and the prospect and what Lex was saying essentially is people will not know that this came from John Danaher, therefore Jen, John Danaher is dead. Yeah. So we are now no longer talking about purpose. We are now talking about purpose with the intent to take the credit yeah. for it. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any no, sense. No, 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 it makes complete sense. It's, uh, have you ever seen Futurama, the TV show? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's that one of my favorite episodes where Bender meets God. Uh, you know, this galaxy supercomputer thing. And he's like, uh, you know, you've done things right when no one's really sure you've done anything at all. Right now, humans love to measure stuff. So that's sort of the argument I got about code is there, I know, I know there are people who cannot understand science without rigid scientific method and anything out those parameters. They just know that's not science, but it's like we're humans. The human factor is complicated. When you try to study psychology, there are so many factors you didn't think to measure which are affecting what you're doing, and you almost need to take a, a, a little bit more relaxed approach to something sometimes because, you know, if, if legacy to you is you're remembered, but really some unnamed person actually changed the world and stopped a world like this uh, Russian submarine commander mm-hmm. who most people have no idea who it is other than historians and yet he stopped the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? Um, that 
could be seen as do, like progress and and if you're focused on my name my legacy then you might be putting your energies the wrong way versus the goal is human the human factor which is what's the next for the species which i actually you know listening to a lot of these intellectuals th they are tackling the problem from the human what's best for the species without they don't always understand that like 95 percent of humans are not in that mindset and they're making decisions based on that mindset for people who are still i just want to get fed today right i just want to do that and it's like uh ethereal ideas for a lot of people and they don't even know because they haven't tried to teach them these concepts because you won't understand it anyways try people right mm -hmm. you, they'll get it or they won't mm -hmm. and then you but you want to get more people up so you need to have a more open-minded uh approach to changing the perspective of what is our end goal right so some people may never get out of the end goal of i want my name on everything like trump sure. right? that's pretty much his, <laughs> his end goal well i think it's more to that but you put your name on everything for a reason versus someone who doesn't want a lot of these scientists that don't want credit for anything but they're the ones who actually did the work right it's a purpose in human it's a complicated question it, it's complicated and w what's also uh, making things uh, you know a little bit um, that complexify things even more is that if 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 the purpose is fulfilled so to speak a, a lot of the times they run ragged, right? Yeah. So you look at Rome, for example. There's yeah. a series right now on Netflix. Uh, I can't remember. It's called Rome something or other. There's a bunch, yeah. It's so good, man. Yeah. It's it's so good. It's just, it, you know, you see these leaders, and some of them are excellent for the longest time, and then they all of a sudden turn into, I'm going to put my name on everything yeah. and turn this place into... More, more, it, more. Yeah, and it's that greed that kicks in, and it seems to be, it has to be kept in check, and that's yeah. when accountability is critical and having all, giving too much power to one single person yeah, is very, for too very long. dangerous. Yeah. There is something that's said for term limits that mm -hmm. could be a big part of uh, America's problem is that people are in power way too long and they're just corruptible by their own ego. Like, you know, people m mean well. They don't realize. Let's pick an easy one for uh, BC people. It's, you know, COVID regulations. They banned indoor dining except for indoor wine testings. That's an oddly specific thing. Then you find out the person who made the decision owns a winery. Oh, no, no, but that has nothing to do with the winery during COVID. That is clearly a biased decision, guys. There's the most, you, no other way to put that. No, 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 that's fine. But And then you start realizing that there's some ego, even those who mean well. Like, I think she means well in BC, but mm -hmm. it's uh, to pretend like that doesn't exist. And when you call them on it, they just ignore it. It's like, ah, maybe it's time when this is all over, you should step away from this job now because you've hit that point. Where you're, where you're making decisions like that, it's like okay, we're done. <laughs> hey man, when you work the government long enough, like yeah. nothing surprises you. Yeah, you just slip stuff <laughs> in. The, well, you know, uh, on that, it's uh, yeah. mob mentality and and purpose and meaning and fear and all that. That Doug Ford is it Doug, whichever the Ford is in Ontario, he gave it away. He said, "If I change my tune now, it's political suicide." And I'm just like motherfuckers. <laughs> It's just nothing to do with truth in my health anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm but stop being that a long time ago. But you want them to be that dumb. Yeah. So they right. actually <laughs> so they actually speak speak out their intent. Right. You know, because the evil you know is better than the evil you don't know. Yeah, that's true. So you know, I want them to accidentally admit percent stupidity, why they're making these dumbass decisions. You know, our decisions. prime minister did a much better job. He just doesn't <laughs> answer questions yeah. at all. 
<laughs> he just does it. Like I, I was watching this interview where it's so they were questioning him <laughs> on something for 20 minutes and he just would not answer they it. Don't. And he never did. But what's more interesting is that the people conducting the interview are so used to him not answering questions that they actually accepting of that now. Yeah. They don't even push. It's like they're, they'll push for a little bit and then he'll skate out the back door two or three times and yeah. they'll just move on. And I'm like, somebody get up and ask him that question again and tell him to answer it and to stop skating around yeah. in circles. Or get him to call you a racist. That's when you know you got him. <laughs> you know what's going to happen, though? Like that person does not come back to the next press conference. Yeah, yeah, the door is locked. Yeah, right? which so is insane. It is just, man. He actually did. He got caught going into politics. He yeah. He did that recently where the he was saying that conservatives are just he's going off about there can we like oh, what was it he basically used the anti-asian hate thing and called the conservative racist oh yeah they were asking why the fuck they had a chinese national in a level four lab without security clearance and he just turned around and said you're racist and then all the conservative mps who were chinese were like what the fuck are you talking they didn't say it like that mm-hmm. but, like are you crazy like answer the question what decision making did you allow someone who doesn't have clearance in the well they were escorted by the RCMP and they don't belong there <laughs> you're a racist like oh my god <laughs> yeah he's he's i mean he's a he's a next level uh, he's a next level cat yeah like he's uh, yeah and they just pushed back the election again i fucking want the election come on well he's got beautiful hair anyway like i know, really right? like i met a woman in a bar <laughs> who said i just got a divorce <laughs> I always voted conservative because I don't care about politics. That's who my husband voted. And I'm like, she's like, I voted for him. I'm like, okay, well, what's your reason? She said, oh, he has nice hair. I'm like, fuck. Mm-hmm. That's why he got elected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Now, on the contentious topic, because we've been alluding to it. Sure. Guns. Yeah. Now, I grew up in Canada with parents who are not interested. My dad's from England. Mom's from Montreal. Eh, they don't care either way. But I didn't grow up with it, as opposed to a lot of Canadians who it's hunting culture or whatnot. And I was terrified of them. And then I went and got my pal, which I can now teach the course. Uh, to Shameless, edu- Shameless plug. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, to learn about it, have a basic knowledge of guns before I go join the army. Because I'm like, this makes sense. And then, as most people in Canada find out, is, oh, these laws are much stricter than I thought they were. And they're like, Why? Oh, I know why you're watching American news. And then most Canadians, when they actually find out, are like, oh, can we like relax the laws a little bit? But then you hear the conversation in the public. The media is actually turning around a little bit on this because uh, the, they're making too many outlandish claims. So the media can't ignore it anymore. So what's, what, what are your stance on guns, Canada and people having them or thoughts at least? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to trap you on this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, response, I'll, I'll, I'll start with this. Yeah. And I've said this on, a, on another podcast before. Guns, if they could be completely disinvented, yeah. I would vote for it 100%. If no one has guns, then we I'm are okay ta- We are no talking about guns. completely, they never happen. Yeah. It's never, it, it would be the absolute best solution. Mm. But... Um, regulating guns for law-abiding citizen is n- not going to impact, from a data perspective, yeah, it, it's it's not going to impact crime because yeah. these guys are not using registered firearms. Mm. Um, they are not complying with any of the regulations. Mm. They are not acquiring their firearms legally. Um, they are not 
storing them properly they're not doing anything they're supposed to do yeah right evidently they're yeah. they're criminals and yeah. they're using their guns for a nefarious purpose and there's nothing we could do to change that yeah the police the board of police chief has been very including the rcmp has been very vocal about um saying that there was no data to support a gun ban yeah there just isn't which is good for them yeah but and that's the that's where they stop well, <laughs> no, but here's here's where the issue is, and yeah. here's where the contention is. Yeah. The the RCMP makes a recommendation. Mm. The political power to be mm. are held accountable by the public. Yeah. This no longer has anything to do with policing. Yeah. Or it, stats, right? No, we we've given them, yeah. and I say we. I wasn't involved in that, mm. but but we know, and this is not just the RCMP. It's it's every other, other pretty much every other police chief in the country yeah. has said. We know that the data doesn't support the ban. We know it doesn't. Now, if we could take all guns away and nobody had them, by all means, Mm. go ahead and do it. But it's not going to happen. That's never going to happen, especially not in a country like the States where they have, like, what is it, 26 million or something? Yeah. It's stupid. More than that, probably. So, um, but our regulations in the country here are stringent. Mm. Would I want to see, say, a concealed carry type world? Oh, hard I, to say right yeah I, you know then you're starting to run into issues of training yeah competence yeah deep, these types of things so and and yeah there's some recreational shooters that are incredible shooters yeah. and, and obviously they would continue to be incredible shooters and they would be safe in the handling of their firearms and and responsible but there's also so many other types of people that shouldn't have guns they shouldn't have a pen let alone <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. let alone guns so um you know i just i just think that from a recreational standpoint having the ability to continue shooting for recreation as well as shooting for sustenance like yeah. you know fishing uh, sorry uh, hunting uh, and and all these other which apparently is no longer considered essential in british columbia uh, under the covid rules of course but okay of, no <laughs> I, but, but, that, but that's what they did they, they yeah. basically circumvented the whole process yeah, by yeah. just changing the parameters yeah. right um but and and this is one step towards getting all those guns away yeah. from us and i and i do believe that if this government remains in power, or if a or if a if a government remains in power, that's I'm moving to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, and see, that's that sounds like a great idea yeah. until everybody's walking around with four guns, and yeah. you know, is this too much of anything is like. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I disagree that we should never have had guns and here's why Mm -hmm. because i see it as a force equalizer with the wealthy who held power forever and i think if guns hadn't been a thing we would still have kings and queens because when everyone's trying to survive you don't have the time for the training and there would have never been that sort of time where it's like okay now they don't have absolute power and force Mm -hmm. you know then you saw a bit of chaos like early london or in the industry you saw a bit of chaos like cowboy days Mm -hmm. where everyone's reestablishing and the guns were necessary for that and then you realize okay we need some civilization so we brought back organized policing right and you need that balance there needs to be a balance of the the governments and those who have use of force like legally allowed to know that they can't go totally crazy because of the human condition, which is to assimilate power and keep it. And I think it, it mani- when done correctly, it just is a reminder, hey, you can't just take over and do what you want and be a dictator because what do they always do? Get rid of guns. Yeah, right. so, so I agree with you except for one little variable is that they had guns. Yeah. If we disinvented them, they wouldn't I'd have them. Possibly. But, I mean, just think of it. I'm thinking about a training. Maybe I didn't explain it. Yeah. 
So a long time, and it could be because technology wasn't there. Yeah. If I'm a peasant and yeah. I work on a farm, all my time is towards just survive. Mm-hmm. Well, who learned use of force? It's the knights and nobles and wealthy people who basically ha- could train all day because mm-hmm. their money was fed for. Sure. So what guns does is it reduces the amount of time and expertise I have to put in because, you know, no matter how John Danaher talked about this, is physics matter. Mm-hmm. If you're tiny, but then that knight is huge and you both have training, he's going to win most of the time. Well, what a gun does is say, yeah, take my property. Try I don't care how much training you have. And so that's what I mean by it's a force equalizer. It's because if only the wealthy can get the skills to defend themselves, which, you know, could be a different now with technology, it sort of was a necessary to force the hands of those with power to realize it's only a matter of enough people storming their castle with enough technology that they can't do that anymore. So then they have to learn to play nice, right, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Was there uh, was there ever a time in history though where peasants ended up having guns and taking over and 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 really, I mean, uh, ev- evidently there were there were some uprisings and there were some some, but was there ever a time where this was the critical factor where they actually, um, you know, because if you're peasants right now and you don't yeah. have the money for training, you don't have the money for anything, you also don't have the money for guns. You yeah. likely don't have any of that. So I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. I I I think. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah. I can't answer that. I, it's way beyond. What my if machine? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But but you know, like, um, what if what if we all work together? And okay, so uh, give you an example of this. Um, ISIS. So ISIS was, uh, and I this was in I, be- I believe this was in Syria, but don't quote me on this. Yeah. I, I believe it was in Syria. They went to university, lined up the the kids. Yeah. out uh, near a cliffside and yeah. they basically shot them one at a time led uh, basically for days yeah. so much so that guys ISIS ex- executioners were getting cramps yeah. in their hands and they, you see them on video shaking their hands before yeah. taking another shot that's yeah. how bad they pull the trigger so many uh, so often and guess what the next person did they yeah. took a step forward uh, yeah. and they took a step forward yeah. and they took a step forward and it didn't matter yeah. they shot them for three days yeah. straight And every single one of those people took a round to the melon thinking that maybe they were going to survive this because maybe they were going to change their mind when they get to them yeah. or didn't have or, or were just, uh, you know, um, oh, yeah. seized by fear or whatever the case may be. So now are we looking at something where weapon would have changed something or we just have or people getting together is really what's the, the powerful um Sort of so perhaps yeah mob mentality victim mentality sure, sort of sure. coalescing is Absolutely. what allows this nonsense well, to happen. Well, that's what happened in Quebec. Yeah. That's what happened in Quebec. So e- e- there was uh, a biker war. I used to work in clubs yeah. back then, and it was fun days. They right? w- they were wanting to <laughs> shoot each other with rocket launchers and yeah. the, in the club lineups and do all this stuff. One day, and I- there was no public outcry whatsoever yeah. oh, the, you know, the bikers are just there and you know they've they've killed a bunch of people accidentally but whatever yeah. and eventually they hit a kid and yeah. when they hit that kid that died it was eight flips the switch it flipped the switch when it flipped the switch it took a year from the date of him passing away yeah. to the regulation being completely changed where these guys couldn't even hang out together with more than two they couldn't wear their colors they yeah. couldn't do this they couldn't do that so there was a basically what happened is finally people got together And 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 basically went after what they should have should have had to begin with, which is their government protecting them. Excuse me against, but it's very difficult 
for anybody to afford that protection if the public themselves don't think they need it. Yeah. Right? So it's a vicious circle. It's like they have to be dead afraid, as I said, as I mentioned earlier, before they come to the conclusion that this is a, a much needed um, solution. Yeah. And then they got to all get together and, and, and go to the front to require those des- those decisions to be either overturned or implemented. Yeah. Now we kind of went off topic there because I, I, yeah. I, I want to get back to the, the gun specific thing, but because sure, yeah. you will have more intimate knowledge than I, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, the same thing kind of happened here a little bit with the series six thing, right? Where all of a sudden, hey, we had all these gang problems. Everyone was kind of just tolerating it. And the series six murders happen and boom, you guys, I'm sure you were involved, <laughs> kicked some doors down. <laughs> And then even Hell's Angels were like, "You little fuckers ruined this for everyone." <laughs> yeah, I I was you know heavily involved with uh, with the Surrey Six um, in a variety of different capacity, but um, that was horrible. That was predictable. Yeah. But there is no way for us to get buy-in, you know, yeah, because public, right? yeah, it's yeah. it's it's extremely difficult, and it's just not us. It's it's. <sighs> D- denial is not just a river in Egypt. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 and it's it's very very difficult. So when something like like this happens and people are utterly shocked, I'm yeah. like, you know, I've been uh, working full time for yeah. twelve years and I'm out on operation daily. So what do you think is happening around here? You know, but again, yeah. I and then I take a step back and I go, okay, we we haven't or the organization or the government or whoever hasn't communicated properly what's actually occurring and it's a fine line you just don't want people to live in anxiety Mm. you don't want the kids to be like because they already are anxiety prone and certainly having this constant inject (laughs) of negative stuff coming out might not like the americans yeah well i think they're they're doing it way too much obviously the news media there's clickbait but like um that's what i think is in canada like i've heard stories of like hey there was a terrorist thing that uh was stopped and i'm like i didn't if I didn't know this person, I didn't know that happened. And I'm like, I feel like Canadians think because our agencies are doing their jobs, they have no idea what's actually going on and they feel safer than, I mean, it's safe here. Rel- like, you know, when in some of the shootings that are going on right now, I'm like, hey, is anyone here in a gang? No, you're probably fine. Don't worry about it. If you hear gunshots, just run. But people are like, oh my God, like, I hit the ground and go. Um, people just they don't have perspective in vancouver because it's it's relatively compared to like a new york or an la it's safer right and because we've you guys are doing a good job and because the media doesn't talk about it people get so shocked that's probably why there's some complacency of getting the public to do it because they don't they just have no idea mm-hmm. right what's going on yeah it's a vicious circle too because um i so one of the one of the units i was in was a it's a really highly performing unit and it's a really good unit and it had great funding and everything following nine eleven. And um and uh what's interesting is so over the course so the units formed, the people are specially trained, they're they're put in the locations, all this good stuff. Five years later nothing happened because yeah. they do a fantastic job yeah. and the public is is ba- is now starting to question the money that's being injected in there. Yeah. And so it's really hard in the in a policing world to quantify the things that are not happening, mm-hmm. you know. Well, actually, if we weren't there, this would happen, or yeah. this or that would have happened. Yeah. We can't say that because it's impossible because we don't know. But we know that things would have happened, yeah. right? So I- it's really hard to sell yourself if if your job is to prevent things from happening. Yeah. 
and that's a vicious circle that you want to be defunded because but we can't quantify what we've actually averted and now we're back to okay so now we're short so now things are happening so now we need money so you give us money and then we get money and now things stop happening and now we're it's uh, it's a vicious circle like COVID like regardless of whatever people believe on masks uh, 2003 or 4 SARS COVID-1 Toronto got hit bad Every province, this country had pandemic plans and storages of all the materials that so we wouldn't run into what we ran into. And uh, I don't know, I think it was like six or seven years passed and they didn't renew any of the programs. And then you saw what happened, right? So I think using COVID as an example, again, I think they've lied about a lot of stuff, but whatever. Um, where was the emergency plans that you wrote down in 2003 or four? Where was the equipment that you, it's the same concept. It's like earthquake, hey, you know the science says of earthqu- a major earthquake can hit Vancouver in the next 50 years. Does anyone have the ability? And then people are fighting with them all the time. Like I've turned my truck into a bug out truck for that reason. Is if I need to get up and go, I can go for two weeks. I know most people are screwed. <laughs> it's just people do not like to plan for the future. Mm-hmm. Even if it's obvious and measurable and we can plan for it. They're like, no, I don't want to spend that $100 million every year for that. Are you sure? Positive. And then you see what happens. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like um, you you, you kind of want to invest in the things that are almost guaranteed yeah. in the offline. The, and I, I don't completely disagree with that, but there are certainly certain things that w- we need to take into consideration because our conditions and our we're very fragile and very vulnerable right now. Yeah. And you're talking about EMP earlier. Yeah. I can't. I can't think of anything yeah. worse. Like it's, w- bad, it's a bad day. <laughs> right now, we lose all communication. We lose all le- electricity. We lose all power. We yeah. oh, oh man, I'm going camping for a few <laughs> weeks, and hopefully, you figured it out by the time I get back. <laughs> That's my plan. <laughs> come, come back to zombie land. <laughs> yeah. Well, as a, I think the science behind zombies, as much as I'd love a zombie apocalypse, it would only ever last a few years because they would just... We'd all be zombies. Well, they'd either all be <laughs> zombies or it would burn itself out and then the survivor, you just go up in the mountains and then you come back down a few years later and you'd, you'd be fine. Um, but yeah, circling back to the gun thing, like, yeah, because we went way off topic there. Like, because, yeah, I, you know, I talked, like I said, I had a guest on uh, a while ago who was very, like, I asked him about guns and it's like, no, everyone should have a gun because in America it's a right. Now, I think that there needs to be the the right for people to have guns needs to be there, but there needs to be you can't give it to crazy people. <laughs> like, stop giving it to crazy people. So the answer <laughs> is not everybody should have a gun. Yeah, but taking it off the table completely. I think having it as an option needs to be somewhat entrenched so it stops being a political tool. But being reasonable about who can have a gun and the training required to have a gun. Cause even now, like I teach the PAL course and I'm like, they met the standards of the course and I'm reasonably obligated to pass them. But I tell them all, you need to go practice now because I've seen people that I didn't teach at the range. Like we, Hey, we just got our gun license. We just got guns. I'm like, you ever shot guns? They're like, no, not really. I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch them. <laughs> and sometimes I have had to step in, may- maybe just do this. And, uh, and so, you know, it's it's almost become like a bureaucratic thing more than anything. Well, I do like the safe storage laws. We have safe storage. You must store laws. And the reason is it prevents it. Their suicide rates have dramatically dropped as a result of that. Be, that's just the forcing people 
who actually care to store guns properly has reduced suicides because now I think I have to open the thing. You have to make a conscious decision to do yeah. all the steps, right? So stuff like that and yeah. uh, accidental deaths from like kids is I don't hear about that very low, almost yeah, ever anymore. You hear it in the states a lot. Of course, we want it to be nailed. Yeah, yeah. Now, I as much as you don't want to be, I I take a firm stance that zeroism needs to stop. As in, we want it to be zero. It just mm-hmm. you can't. It's if you try to make things zero, you're gonna screw everything up. And I think that's where the, the the mothers against drunk driving. We want it zero. I'm like, you're not gonna do that. It's humans. You're not gonna do mm-hmm. that. And anytime they try to like, we want we want to ban guns because we want no gun deaths. And as you said, like I knew people in high school. I wasn't in gangs. I was a good kid. I didn't even do drugs until adulthood, right? Um, and it's I knew people who get guns, illegal handguns, in high school. And it's just like you tell people that, and like, what do you mean? I'm like. Yeah, they're in. They're they're a low junior member of the triads. They can get guns. How much? I don't know. At the time, it was probably a grand or two. Now it's like five grand or whatever, or ten grand. And then I talk to people who used to be in that lifestyle. It's, now, luckily here, when you talk to them, like a lot of them, they don't want to use the gun because they realize how expensive it is to replace that gun once they use it. So that's the reason why, in, at least in this culture here, the gang culture that I've talked to people is they don't want to use the guns if they don't have to because mm-hmm. it's so expensive. But the guys, that's why I say if you got shot as a gangster, like, here, you piss someone off. <laughs> like, what did you do? <laughs> right. Yeah. And the average person, they just don't think about the realities of, of what's causing the problems. It's not me. I have guns. I barely even use them. Ammo's expensive, man. Mm-hmm, I don't yeah. have that kind of money right now. Uh, I have them because what if I gardener, you know, a warrior in a garden just in case. Right. I saw how people acted during the toilet paper wars earlier this year or last <laughs> year. Paper war. It's like that was un- completely in this province was unnecessary. There was no supply issues here. And you saw how people and I'm like, imagine what would happen if there's an actual plague where bodies are literally dropping in the streets. How do you think people are going to react? Are you telling me you don't want guns? I think you are. <laughs> They're going to lose their minds. It's kind of <laughs> funny because I have a few friends that... Uh, during the pandemic, yeah. contacted me and they're like, "Hey, um, uh, I've yep. been thinking of getting my pal," and I'm just laughing, right? Because yeah. yeah, it's 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 an interesting, uh, really interesting, interesting on concept. the pal thing is we were only told not to teach for a very brief brief period, from the fi- like from the and then after that the the it was like okay, uh, if you can teach based on the regulations, then f- if you feel comfortable, and that I was like quite shocked. Mm-hmm. I would have thought they would have been like, nope, you can't teach. But that's a minister by the RCMP, right? Uh, not, not by the it's federal government. Sort of. Uh, yeah, so mm-hmm. the, the PAL programs are administered by the BC, the, the provincial branches. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a, a federal appointee, some places it's RCMP appointee. Because uh, of the politics, some people are kicking out the RCMP appointees and putting in a provincially appointed person. And they kind of decide, but still, it is an RCMP Led thing. The RCMP can't. could say, we are not issuing any of these during 100%. this time they didn't do that mm-hmm. and i i'm like to me that's where the disconnect between the politicians i would have thought that they said okay we're not issuing pals during it but they didn't but that's consistent with the stance the rcmp yeah. had taken initially which means there's a disconnect there between is. what's being said but there is a reality. known disconnect yeah we know what the disconnect is yeah it's about political survival that has nothing to do with actual. <sighs> i know i know it's frustrating <laughs> but here's the thing you know i'm one of those i'm one of those guys um that 
there's the sphere of influence yeah. and the thing that I can do anything about and this is completely outside yeah. like th- I can't do anything about this and yeah. if they decide to take all our pistols yeah I lost it in the boating accident <laughs> <laughs> aside, aside from the the, the, the obvious boating yeah. incident like you <laughs> know I, just, thing. I don't really have like a, an, an, an overly uh, emotional reaction to the attachment yeah. to anything um, and 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 I know some people will say, "Well, whoops, yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to." Oh, it's not going to break. It's fine. Um, but um, but I I try to let outside factors um, you know affect me the least as possible. And yeah. I just this is just one of those things where it's really really frustrating. But I I I evidently I'm seeing what they're doing here. Yeah. This has nothing to do with objective data. This has nothing to do. Actually, it's not even it, it's data. Period. Um, it has nothing to do with the numbers. It has nothing to do with anything else. Um, yeah. And just now, yeah, on that note, I don't know if you like I follow it a little bit. Allegedly, although the evidence is fairly damning, the RCMP still have the long gun registry data and they're not supposed to according to court order. I have no idea. Yeah. So like that's the thing. It's, uh, yeah. There was a recent case. I, I don't know the details. Uh, Runkle of the Bailey is a really good YouTube uh, Canadian firearm lawyer goes over this stuff. There was a court case regarding a firearm, and they asked the Crown, can you give over some information regarding this stuff? And they gave her some information regarding this person, and they're like, wait a second. The only possible way you have this information is the long gun registry still exists. And now they're going through another high river, uh, like Alberta high river gun grab situation, where it's like, wait, a federal court judge told you to the entire organization to delete the data and it looks like it's still somewhere and this is why people a lot of the like super pro gun guys are like i don't trust the cops knowing the rcmp they're probably like where'd you put it i yeah. don't know where did you put it yeah what about you where? someone found it and used the data now either they didn't know that's where it came from but that seems to be the message that, well we didn't we don't know where that what Dude, that was a lot of personal records on a lot of people, <laughs> and it's somewhere. <laughs> this is way outside. Yeah, field, I know my field of expertise. Yeah. I have no idea. But just hearing something like that, mm-hmm. well, that's if, it's, if it's substantiated, yeah, yeah. I it, mean, obviously, it's very suspicious. It's like yeah. there's no, they're like, there's no way this data didn't come from anywhere. But that, and that's like, that's why the like, I, I get mad at the like guns no matter what it's like hey guys like just have a rational conversation but then they have the point i don't trust the government and that's the example they're pointing to is the high river gun grab uh i won't get into the details you can look up the high river where the rcmp denied any wrongdoing and then Mm -hmm. the court stepped in and it's like yeah you shouldn't have done that right just someone is like no we're taking these guns you don't have the right to do that because they used emergency powers wrongfully to do it and got in trouble right and some chief chief super somewhere yeah uh, (laughs) got got slapped yeah, and it's just like it's it's a complicated topic. It's like, mm-hmm. but I think the consensus we have is you sh- can have them, mm-hmm. but be responsible with them, yeah. right? And and know how to train with them. Yeah, and it's and and but I do not believe that everybody should have them. Yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> you, and actually, look at the um, people don't know this is if you look into a lot of the high profile mass shootings in the last twenty years, it's like why did they have guns? They were on the FBA watch list. The Nova Scotia shooter that's that's a conspiracy theory in its own. Why did this guy have guns even though he'd been reported continuously for 10 years by basically everybody and they never took his guns and the, again, it's not for sure. The, uh, the allegation is he was a police informant. 
Yeah, I heard that bounced yeah. around, and yeah. I, I've had some, um, I've had some, um, some of some of my colleagues being vehemently denying that, yeah. saying this is completely preposterous. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out I of that. I don't know yet. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to but see. But like the bottom line is yeah. that guy was a red flag. Yeah. Well, should never no have had guns. No Everyone was questioning why he had guns, and actually, the RSMP in Canada have the authority to come and say you don't get guns. So why did someone who was well known? not lose his gun now it's take comparison to say like the uh, pulse nightclub shooters a while ago mm-hmm. i remember that very well that yeah. guy shouldn't have that should never have happened of he course. was on watch lists so what happened and 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 i find it's a failure of you know leadership and responsibility of policing often to not get these guys away from guns where these things happen because in canada most part this is not an issue it's usually when someone's been reported and no one did anything about it. Of and course. Nova Scotia happened. Although, again, there's some very strange, like substantiated strange stuff with the Nova Sco- Scotia one, like the banking records that don't make sense, mm-hmm. um, how he was paid. I think it was the question was he was paid in a way that the bank said. It's consistent to undercover consistent operation. Consistent to undercover operation, which yeah. is like, that's okay. That's a pretty bulk thing. Yeah, know? but where is the, so, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you that, and I have yeah. no idea. I, I have no idea if yeah, that's I the case. I have no and idea. we'll find out because <laughs> yeah. everything will obviously yeah. explode at some yeah. point. But um, but if that's the case, then what's the correlation between this and the guns, like anyways? Yeah, like exactly. So right. so you mean to tell me that you you don't you even if you had an informant and you knew it to be a public a public risk, yeah. you wouldn't take their guns because they're an informant. Yeah. Like what are you actually after? Are you yeah. about, you're you after the information they can provide and they're being paid and they're yeah. being remunerated for it? There yeah. are rules for this. Yeah. They just don't get to do whatever they want. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm not an expert in the field, yeah. but I'm just I'm just spitballing here, yeah. right? So I think. Um, it'll be impossible to keep this on the wrap. Yeah. It, it's it's going to take time and things. <laughs> 50 <are good>. years. <laughs> well, no, I think I think there's a lot of inquiries yeah. that are that 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 are on, uh, ongoing, right? Yeah. That are still ongoing. Yeah. So a lot of the information hasn't been out. I think so. I think uh, perhaps what I'm getting at is yeah. that it's a failure of leadership to yeah. acknowledge a failure of something. We failed to arrest this person. We failed to keep tabs on this person, and it's easier for them to blame the guns. Mm-hmm. It's the guns. I think uh, you're talking about pol- political yeah, the, the, leaders. The, the, well, because it's not just the political leaders. It's if I talk to the average Canadian of mm-hmm. what their thoughts are, they're quoting American stuff. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. And so it's just the lack of knowledge on this topic matter. And then, well, I trust the experts. Okay, yeah, but they're lying. The, at least the political leadership, they're lying. Their experts are lying. They're lying. Well, you know, why would they do that? And well, here's all the evidence. They're lying. So I need to inform, re-educate this person about what the uh, gun laws actually are and their stances and if people are open to it often they f- they f- they re- rethink their stance but the, the 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 sort of idea in public is guns are bad they they cause all the problem but yet mm-hmm. it, they don't it's other things mm-hmm. so we need the leadership to take actual responsibility for the failures of keep the problem people in check yeah right? just like anything else that you, that we do that we do as humans, we tend to oversimplify everything because yeah. it allows us to process the information. I want black and easy. white. Give me black and yeah, white. Yeah, because it's because <laughs> it's easy. But life is in shades of gray. Well, I, th- I so bring it back to self defense. Is when I start talking about when you get the what if, what if this, what if that. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I'm giving you the basic tools. You need to fill in the blank. Well, what if this? No, I don't know. Are you getting what I'm saying to you? I'm not there to whisper sweet nothings in your ear. How to now do combo A B C D. Mm-hmm. It's not how this works, and, and micromanaging the yeah. use of force. People want yeah, right. <laughs> people want that answer, and when you start to tell them it's not like that, 
I've had students that get mad. You're not teaching me what I thought. And they, they don't stick around. I'm like, well, it's okay. But it's that misconception that people want the black and white. Just teach me how to punch them in the face. I'm like, we have laws, you know. You, you can't just do that. I mean, there are grounds when you can, but do you know what the laws are? And most people don't. Well, what about <laughs> the variables? Like he's yeah. moving, you're in a crowd, you're this, you're that. He's, he knows what he's doing or whatever the case may be. So it, it, it's very, com it's complex, right? Yeah, it's yeah. not so simple. And this, it's, it, it's, it's fun. It, it's kind of, it's good that you're mentioning that because for me, that's what made jiu-jitsu so appealing. Yeah. I just love the artistic side of yeah. it. Yeah. It's like once you start looking at jiu-jitsu in terms of concepts rather than moves, yeah. you start opening your mind up to a whole bunch of different possibilities, right? Like yeah. and, 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 and Conceptual learning. Yeah, and, and addressing, um, addressing certain things become uh, very creat a very creative yeah. process. And, uh, who doesn't and love jiu-jitsu? I man, <laughs> who doesn't? You know, who doesn't? And if yeah. you don't, like, go to hell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I tell, you know, I, I tell all of my students who are below a certain size, yeah. you need to do jiu-jitsu or wrestling along with the Krav Maga. Sure you do. Because of physics. And sure while I do cover ground stuff, I'm just like, you need such a high skill level. Like, I'm trying to cover so much topic matter in Krav Maga. Like, I just don't give enough time to grappling. I'm giving you basic concepts. You need to go get your blue belt. I require a blue belt or higher in jiu-jitsu or if you're like i was a college wrestler i'm like that's fine too um before i'll give out a black belt and crowd because i want you to one i want to see you're open-minded you're willing to try new things two I, I need you to understand how difficult it is to grappling because i do teach arrest techniques and all that but it's again i'm covering so much topic matter i need you to be actually proficient mm -hmm. so go to jiu-jitsu we're in vancouver there's lots of good skills you know budo vancouver here budo burnaby uh, ascension right you can learn the skill sets and a lot of people are like i don't want to do both i'm like you need to, if you're small you must do both mm -hmm. and if you're in this for the long haul why won't you do both mm -hmm. right um now as we can go on jujitsu for hours um because it's the gun stuff would, would only be this the only two listening yeah, yeah. oh no <laughs> i mean, I mean Kwan's <laughs> podcast is successful right um self-defense laws in canada i have a very i think they're too strict in canada as in it's too much onus on prove this was really self-defense like that's not how this works and i look at case law and it's like flip a fucking coin as whether the jury votes you or the judge votes you guilty or not it's like so confusing mm. yeah it's been um it's it's been really interesting but um i do i do think that generally speaking in the in the cases where grievous body armor death was at stake yeah. where the person either had to kill someone or i think the f most of the high stake cases have have been ruled in in the favor of the person using the self-defense yeah. but they were put through th hell through the, the ringer yeah. uh, in the process uh, ultimately the way i kind of look at it is the old saying you know i'd rather be judged by yeah. 12 than carry by six yeah um, but i think it's important to have a general understanding so that you can mitigate some of the risk associated yeah. with a potential use of force yeah. and if people don't understand you know uh, 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 say a very basic principle such as when does it become excessive force for a civilian yeah and the threshold is way higher yeah. because training is not expected yeah. from a civilian yeah. so therefore they can they can make a tactical mistake and have the leanings to the court. The issue is, what does it take for somebody to know that once you say uh, deliver the strike and the person is now, uh, you know, on the ground, unconscious, for you to come over and stump their head yeah. is excessive. Yeah. yeah. Now yeah. I know people who have done that. Yeah. 
and they got off. Yeah. yeah and I'm know. like, what? I know but, this person. But and I'm again, like, what the fuck? But again, that's because <laughs> there is no actual training. Yeah. So they can keep, they can keep, there's all kinds of um, uh, rabbit holes you can go yeah. down into. Like, they're not stress inoculated. They're not trained. So therefore, they're in a, an advanced, you know, stress the response. The person I know, and if, sorry if you're offended and you listen to this, is a very good martial artist, was a very good martial artist. They have a temper problem. Mm-hmm. And when I heard the facts of the case, I'm like, dude, I would have convicted you. But they got off. Mm. And I hear this all the time in Canada. Like, it's good to hear from what you've seen. Yeah, these chairs are so uncomfortable. <laughs> the, uh, um, that most of the time they don't even, it doesn't go through, but there's that social aspect. If you defend yourself, you've been through the ringer. Now, recently there was a case. Yeah, you probably haven't heard of it. But, and most people wouldn't have. I just saw it on my, my thing. Is this woman was almost beaten to death and stabbed the guy, killed him. And for some Dumbass reason the crown held her in prison for a month and just and it's like what the fuck? What was she reminded what was she remand, remanded for? I'm not you know, sure the details, but I just dude, she was almost killed. Yeah. And in the process of almost being killed, she stabbed the guy. Fuck that guy. Yeah. What is the crown thinking? <laughs> I mean, the only just being being devil's advocate from an investigative standpoint, yeah. the only thing I could say is and I don't know any details yeah, of the case, I but if she if she withheld information, yeah. such as not wanting to talk about it or being advised by her lawyer to not mm-hmm. say anything oh, or yeah. whatever, then you could run into an issue where a- ascertaining the details of what actually happened mm-hmm. might have been difficult. Yeah, and even though somebody else might be there to corroborate the information, saying this is what happened, whatever, whatever, if you're having a real issue establishing the a timeline or the facts, yeah. you may r- you may edge on the side of caution because now what is the cost of releasing somebody accidentally that actually is a murderer? Mm. So now you've potentially endangered somebody else. So that's what happens sometimes. So mm. I'm not suggesting that that's yeah. the case here because maybe they details, had, yeah. maybe they had all the details and they yeah. still did that. Yeah. But it sounds a little sketchy. Yeah. Like, cause I'm always telling people you need to know the laws. Cause like if, like if say you carrying a knife here, well in Canada, you can't for self-defense. It's you're gonna, <laughs> you're, yeah, gonna but you're not carrying it for self-defense. Yeah. You're carrying it for work purposes and stuff. But you know, people don't even know that a lot of they're carrying like a four or five inch blade. And I'm like, why are you doing that? You know, cause I, I forgot what the, what you're specifically allowed to be carrying or not. And then they're like, Oh, for self-defense. I'm like, don't say that. Right. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I'll give you an example of a case that I know somewhat personally because i met the guy who got killed it was a ex of an ex-friend of mine there's a reason ex-friend but uh this guy was known to police he pulled a knife on one of his rivals on a bus in richmond uh there was a scuffle and he got stabbed in the temple with his own knife and died now the guy panicked threw the knife away which was his evidence they ended up finding the knife which is good He ended up getting off in self-defense, but he was told, and I believe it's in the case record, that if you had been carrying your own knife, even if you didn't use it, there's no way you would have got off because you would have had intent, right? So, yeah, that's what they were told. Now, of course, everyone is like, oh, my God, this guy was such a saint. He was a volunteer firefighter, the guy who got killed. I'm like, what the fuck? This guy's a psycho. Like, I knew, and his mother is in the paper, the typical, like, he's a saint. I was like, of course. No, he's, man. In, he's in a three-piece suit. Yeah, and yeah. He's holding a baby. and No, I remember the time I had to pick up my friend, ex-friend, because he was being abusive, and he chased our car down the street and punched the back of the window and left bloody uh, footrests. Now I'm like, 
if I press charges, he might not have been killed because it was a month after that. And I'm like, I don't care. He's a scumbag. And a lot of people would have been like, they feel remorse for that. Maybe I'm just a psycho myself. But I was like, I don't care, man. That guy was a piece of shit. Right. And it's just that uh, reality of violence kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes some people are better not taking breaths. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the that's the. So like on the self-defense thing, because we probably have similar, if they're a piece of shit, I don't care. Like, I don't care if gangs are shooting each other. It's the problem. They're doing it in the public, hey public man, sphere. I'll, I'll organize an event where you go to, <laughs> where you go to a large field and we'll, we'll make sure the referees are in safe bunkers <laughs> and uh, go for it and, and go for it. Yeah. I mean, because ultimately, and uh, to be honest yeah. with you, um, that's a bit of an oversimplification yeah, too yeah. because a lot of those a lot of those kids that are getting wrapped up in this are yeah. actually salvageable yeah and now they're 18 19 20 or 21 making some really poor decision and end up having lead flying their direction and yeah. it's too bad because if you could shake him out of their stupor and have that conversation and say what do you think now are you listening yeah. you know but now it's too late because yeah. they they get gunned they're down or, or, or their yeah, yeah. girlfriends are or whatever the case may yeah. be so i think but generally speaking if you are a grown man or a grown woman, and you're a you're a you're a, a gangster, and yeah. you want to be living by the gun, th- by the sword, and dying by the sword. Yeah. I'll give you a field to do it yeah, in, yeah, yeah. because we don't want the rest of our people, and we don't yeah. want the public. Yeah, so you brought up a good point with the gangs because uh, the mentorship we kind of talked about at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's uh, like I always tell people, like, so we've learned more recently that the brain stops is kind of developing around 25, not 18. So I always tell people, like, hey, if you or screw around well, regardless of gang or not like better be done by 25 and by the time you're 30 you better have it fixed or it's not cute anymore <laughs> you know and uh that's that sort of the me and you agree like hey if you're a piece of shit and you don't want to stop at a certain point like i don't care if you get killed a lot of people would be like you don't have the right to kill someone in self-defense because you're not judged during an executioner <laughs> <laughs> yeah you don't re- you don't have the right to to, to hurt someone in self-defense unless you are the person in needing yeah then it's all of a sudden it's fine right? so if you were and i i used to have these arguments about isis and i keep on going back to isis yeah. i have a generally visceral hate for that group yeah um, they're welcome back in our country. Oh, buddy, don't get me started. <laughs> but one, one of the things, one of the things with ISIS was, and you know, they were throwing, um, you know, gays off the buildings. Mm-hmm. They were burning Jordan, Jordanian pilots in, yeah. the, in cages. They were yeah. uh, and beheaded Christian girls yeah. and seven-year-old or whatever. Yeah. They're just horrible. And so, th- when you have somebody that has this holistic approach to problem solving <laughs> some of those issues. And, uh, you know, violence is never the answer mm-hmm. and, and whatever the case may be. I, I transpose the scenario to their own kids. So you have yeah. a daughter. She is seven. Now you have an ISIS executioner. Y- he's already dumped seven of them in front in front of you. Yeah. And now he has yours. Now, so now you have your two choices. You, you, you try to talk. Talk him out of it and 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 um, sort of initiate a meaningful relationship, and you get some cooperation, and you potentially save your daughter, or you have uh, an SAS sniper, yeah. two hundred meters away, and he sends his brain out for a lunch. Yeah. What 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 do you want? Because yeah. right now you have two seconds to make that call. Yeah. Shoot him. Yeah. Well, yeah, they'll be shooting, <laughs> right? Okay, so what you have said is that, given the right circumstances you would condone yeah. the use of violence to problem solve something. Yeah. I think that's actually a good analogy. What would you do with your children? Mm-hmm. Uh, like if you could ask doctors sometimes, mm-hmm. like would you give this to your own children or family? And they just spent 20 minutes telling you why you need it. And then they a- the answer to that question is no. It's like, okay, well, I don't need it. 
right? It's, it gets people, they're just, again, that decision, they're doing it because they think that's what they're supposed to do. But then when you actually make, force it, what would you do for your family? Which becomes a problem now when a lot of people aren't having families and then don't care <laughs> that it's like, well, you shouldn't do it. And I'm like, you're right. As we talked about earlier, that person should not attack you. But guess what? They're attacking you now. It doesn't matter that they were abused as a child or they mm -hmm. grew up bad life. It's irrelevant. They're about to kill you. What do you do? Right. And most people, they don't know because a lot of suburb Karens have never had to deal with violence. So they just have no concept of what they're talking about, I think, is a good way of putting it. Yeah, over my over my 20 years in policing, one of the things that's become very self-evident is is the amount of shock in people's faces when they are suddenly victimized yeah. by something. And and I've I've seen people whose whole life came apart. Yeah. You know, after because it completely shattered yeah. the social norms or at the very least their the feeling of safety that they had or whatever the case may be. And I think knowing that it's there and taking prevent preventive actions is better than not knowing that it's yeah. there and getting hit solid yeah. and, and end up in a major downward spiral. So um, it's better to be a warrior in a garden, garden than a gardener in a war. Um, I think that's it's a pretty good place. My back is killing me with these <laughs> chairs and we are about three <laughs> hours. Um, is there anything we, we talked about? Anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about or uh, thought you might talk about? Get it in there before... No man, I think um, I think this was um, this was a great chat. I uh, I really enjoyed it, and it was also uh, quite different from a lot of the podcasts I've been on. So yeah, I'm not structured. I wanna I wanna see who you are. That's why I said at the beginning. I was telling him at the beginning. I like it when it's over an hour and a half mm -hmm. because you really start. You like we don't we know each other on the internet. We don't know each other personally, so you need to assess each other out, and then you start having that conversation. It's, I think it's the reason Joe Rogan's podcast is so successful because he's being real. <laughs> like mm -hmm. It's being a real person. Um, so if people want to find you, train with you, uh, consult, have you as a consultant, how can they find you? Yeah, so for right now, one of the things I didn't do is a website because yeah. I haven't need I, I didn't need it. Like yeah. there has been so much word to mouth. So uh, right now I run off my Raven Strategic account on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So Raven Strategic, common yeah. spelling. Um, I, it's also attached to my personal Instagram account, which is um, at S-L-A-V, as in Victor, C-C-M-B-R, so Slav Commander. Mm. That's just my first name, Sebastian Lavoie, not anything yeah. people were asking me before, Slave Commander. Yeah. I'm like, calm down, it's my first <laughs> name. <laughs> so S-L-A-V-C-C-M-B-R is my Instagram account. And um, yeah, you can hit me up on there. And if you have some questions, I'm, uh, I'm all yours. And uh, when things open up again, you're teaching at Ascension Martial Arts now? 100%. So I'm co-owner at, co at Ascension Martial Arts. We have yeah. a fantastic program. Uh, well, we have pro fantastic programs, kickboxing, BJJ, especially our BJJ program is off the hook. Yeah. And we're having a, we're having the culture is, is, is very critical for me. Yeah. And the culture is absolutely insanely positive in there. So I just really, we're having a great time. Come join us and... Uh, have a great time. Sounds good. Thanks for coming on, Seb. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Bro. You're listening to The Warrior's Day. Warrior's Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions. <laughs>